Oh my god, okay, hang on, because we've got a serious scene coming up that made me cry, so I need to calm down. Hey guys, welcome back to Merlison, a monthly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. And today we have another episode review, and I'm very excited about it because I love doing them, and I cannot believe that we are like pretty much like halfway through season two at this point. This is kind of cra- like over halfway, I think. Now this is kind of this is crazy to me, and I am really excited to get into this episode. There's a lot to talk about, so let's just get to it as quickly as possible. But first of all, <laughs> the news. Yes. First of all, Netflix is not taking Merlin offline. The license has been renewed and you can all breathe easily again. Author of The Pendragons on Tumblr has started a Merthyr playlist that all of Fennon can collaborate on. Check out the post on Tumblr for more information. The Merthyr Kiss Fest has returned. You can post your contributions between December the 24th and January the 20th. Check out the post on Tumblr by Merthyr Kiss Fest for more information. Morgana Pendragon on Tumblr opened another Merlin Discord. It's called the Merlin Network. Message the blog for an invite. And that has been it for news. Back to rocks. <laughs> Back to me. We have uh, a couple of talkbacks today. And the first one that we have is from Amphigori, who commented on our episode review of Beauty and the Beast Part 1. And this is what she had to say. So it's a bit of a misconception that the cost of VFX has come down and that it's one or the other situation. Certain elements have come down in cost, like it's cheaper to hire FX artists and compositor to do CG explosions than it is to have a full shoot crew with a stunt crew and pyrotechnicians. But a full CG character has always been expensive. A full body prosthetic suit is like half the cost of CGI characters, even in 2009. The ideal situation is both practical and CG working together, like Mad Max Fury Road, where stunts were done practically but enhanced with CGI, or Shazam, or Thor's suits, and costumes getting CG seam removals and capes added. Hope that answers your question. It really does. Thank you. It does. <laughs> and uh, that's always been my favorite way that films and TV do things as a mixture. And that's how you trick the audience, which is kind of what the point is. And um, forgive me for mentioning Titanic, <laughs> but uh, this is one of the reasons why films like Titanic and Jurassic Park and anything that was made at a time when CG was still relatively new the effects have aged so well like specifically those two films that you know they're known as some of the most timeless effects of the kind of our generation cinema because a lot of it wasn't done with with a computer you know they had real sets or dinosaurs or um moving pieces or an or a real boat and they just like um said just enhanced it slightly using uh using vfx and um obviously they still put a load of money behind it this is not merlin style budgeting though i imagine 
probably the kind of stuff they were doing in Titanic you could probably do on a Merlin budget by 2009 so I don't really know that but um as for CGI characters yeah I loved uh Sarah Parrish's make uh makeup and prosthetics I think we both agree on that don't we (laughs) that was just yeah absolutely incredible so I wish we saw more of that now and if what Amp says is true that CGI characters are you know fairly comparable cost I'm a bit I just don't know why people are so unwilling to do it my gut reaction is probably because actors are less willing to kind of be put in certain levels of discomfort in order to play the role if they know that they can get away with wearing a blue suit and it being painted afterwards they'd rather do that than go through hours and hours of makeup and it probably costs and is inconvenient to have the actor having to go through all that makeup every day anyway so I can understand like for practical reasons especially on big shoots but um yeah I prefer it I think it looks better and I'm glad at least that they put Sarah Parrish in a a troll costume so I think for me I mean I'm not an actor I don't really know any actors personally, but what I can imagine is that given the chance, they would probably favor having the full body costume rather than just the the blue suit. But of course, time is the actual factor here. I think that's what really, that's where it's really at, that it takes so much time to put someone in in makeup in and costume if you're going to really alter their appearance i'm just you know thinking of these time lapse videos we have of merlin behind the scenes where they put colin in the in the dragoon makeup to make him look really old you know that must have taken hours and same with sarah parish with the with the face mask i'm sure that it has taken ages to put on and take off and i think that's probably the one reason that actors would really prefer having the full CGI experience rather than the full body makeup experience, because it's just putting them in a blue suit and, you know, um, adding a few stickers to their face will probably be less time consuming than sitting them down in a makeup chair for the next five hours to put on makeup. Exactly. So our next talkback is from uh, Archaeologist D who commented on Beauty and the Beast part one and ArchD commented on my question with regards to was the weekday Thursday even invented yet <laughs> at the time that this is supposed to be said. And ArchD found out I looked up Thursday, which you were asking about in the episode. Seven days a week is from AD 321, when Constantine codified it. Thursday comes from Old English Funerous Day, according to lifescience.com. So it's pretty close to what it sounds like now. Old English covers the 5th to 11th centuries. Also, I have no idea what time period they were aiming for on the show. It certainly wasn't in the 600s, more like the 1100s, with the armor and courtly love issues. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Okay, Diane, first of all, I'm sure you haven't been wrong that many times before. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, thank you for doing the hard work on this research that I was too lazy to do. Oh, well, I think we were in the middle of recording. That's that's why. I had asked that question 
myself while I was watching the episode. Oh, I see. And I'd started Googling it. And when Google didn't immediately give me the answer I wanted, I gave up after like three seconds because I was too <laughs> lazy to dig into it further. <laughs> I knew someone listening to this podcast would be happy to enlighten me. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Uh, further on, ArchD says, the, quote, body like a tree trunk, unquote, I didn't take to mean that she was ugly, just that she had skin looking like bark, which she does. But I can see that it could be fat shaming. Um, okay, so I asked my friend, who is a bigger person, like, phys- I mean, morally also a bigger person, but physically a big morally a bigger person <laughs> it's okay you don't have to explain we know what you mean <laughs> but also physically a bigger person how they saw this comment and they certainly noticed the fat shaming aspect of this comment like this uh my friend is also like they they are also a merlin fan or were a merlin fan so it might be a case of perception and personal experience i suppose how you read that quote and I kind of, you know, expect the Merlin writers to be fat shaming bastards at this point, mainly because that's one line of so-called comedy that they like to write a lot between Merlin and Arthur usually. But, you know, when other occasions present themselves, they will take advantage of it. And I still maintain that they shouldn't, like, regardless of what you think this quote meant that she just you know had really ugly skin or that she was actually fat um, and therefore ugly I still maintain that they shouldn't take issue with the troll's appearance or even the smell and more its morals and the crime and progress that is happening and there's also something negative to be said about the way trolls are generally depicted you know, big bodies, ugly faces, and in the case of Katrina, disgusting habits, and lots of body odor and farts, overall very dirty and lazy. And that's a very common depiction of fat people in media. And I suppose that's why it rubs me personally the wrong way anytime someone comments on a troll's appearance and their, you know, general um, atmosphere. Let's put it like that. Yeah. And that has been all our talkbacks. And Rox is going to tell you all the places where you can leave comments. She is. Okay, let's have a look. <laughs> okay, so if you want to have your comment featured on the podcast, like you've just heard, guys, you need to go over to our website to do that. We only react to comments left over there. And our website is melissa.paracaproductions.com. If you type Melissa into Google, it should be the first organic search result that comes up anyway, or our Tumblr, but you know, what? one of the two. Uh, speaking of Tumblr, if you want to leave us an ask or a reblog or a direct message or anything of the sort, get in touch with us. Our Tumblr is also Merlisten. The same for Twitter, where we are at Merlisten, where you can leave uh, tweets, direct messages, retweets, replies, etc. We're on iTunes at Merlisten, where you can rate and comment or leave a review there. That would really help us out too. The email, which I have written in front of me right now, is merlisten.podcast at gmail.com. And you can get in touch with us there. And then lastly, we have our Discord server, which is specifically for the podcast. And we have a channel dedicated to episode reactions. So if you want to chat with 
either of us two or people that have guested on the podcast or just other listeners. We highly encourage you to join and any comments and reactions left in there will just be replied to directly in the server and the invite link you can look for on our Tumblr or just ask one of us. And more recently, you can find us on Kofi, not coffee. Kofi. We are Merlison on Kofi. The link will be on our website. So if you would like to support the podcast, if you've been a long time listener or a new listener, and you would uh, like to support the work that we do and you like the work that we do, we would really, really appreciate it. So those are all of the places where you can find us. Lots of lots of excuses to come and talk. And I love to talk, so do it. <laughs> Wait, and you love to talk since when? I've never heard you talk to anyone about anything ever. You don't have opinions. Do you want to maybe put that sarcasm to rest somewhere in a box? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry. I Calm have... the fuck down. I have, I have to give you a little bit of shade. Come on. <laughs> I like I don't get enough shade from you already. <laughs> it's been three years, and like I'm, I'm so shaded in. I might as well be a sketch, you know. It's like oh Jesus. I can't even decide if that's a bad joke or a good joke. It's good. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm okay. just thinking of our listeners with the bingo card that has bad pun or a bad joke on it. I'm just wondering if they're allowed to cross that out or not. Right. We need to tell you guys what this episode is about because no one has seen it yet. So it's very spoiler free on this podcast. Um, no, 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 that's the other podcast. Yeah, no, we don't. <laughs> um, the episode summary is from the Merlin Wiki, which is very accurate and never wrong. And this, and and this, sorry, I was being very serious. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> um, they've never gotten an episode description wrong in their whole life. Um, so the episode summary is as such. Uther is determined to wipe out magic in Camelot once and for all. False. And this time, no one is beyond suspicion. He summons the most dreaded witchfinder in the land, Iridian, a terrifying man who will stop at nothing to uncover sorcery. Gaius impresses upon Merlin how much danger he is in, but Morgana needs no such warning. She's certain Iridian will see straight through her and she will be burned at the stake. Can Merlin protect Morgana and Gaius without ending up in the flames himself? Literally, this is not what the episode is about at all. Just, no, it really Merlin isn't. Is not, Merlin isn't protecting anyone. He's trying to save Gaius's life. He's not even thinking about Morgana. He really What's isn't. That? That's amazing. No one is oh thinking about Morgana except Morgana. Yeah, that's and true. And maybe Gaius a little bit once Iridian threatens Morgana. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm very like I'm actually very excited about this. But you've got stats. Yes. Go ahead. First, we have statistics because this episode first aired on the seventh of November two thousand and nine. There are six female characters with lines, a never before seen height of female characters in a Merlin episode. Truly, two of them are the main cast, Gwen and Morgana, and four are peasant women who don't have names, but they have lines. And then we have seven male characters. They are Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, Uther, and Leon, our usual main cast suspects. And then we have two from the supporting cast who are Iridian and this apothecary guy who doesn't have a name either. No, he has a name. I think Gwen calls him by his name, but I forgot what his name was because it's... Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, sorry. Because it has no significance. 
But he has a name. I just forgot what it was. I could look it up, but I'm too lazy. Anyway, the enemy of the week is, of course, Viridian. And he dies. And you could make an argument that Merlin is the one who causes his death. But it's highly accidental. And Merlin didn't mean to cause his death. So I'm, you know, I wouldn't blame Merlin for this. I would call it like, it's sort of like, a oh, one day a butterfly flapped its wings and the next minute someone died. Like Merlin had very little to do with it. He just made the knife go hot so he'd drop it. Yeah. Like he didn't really do much to facilitate his death. It was Iridian's stupidity that did that. Yeah. And also a lot of bad CGI. But anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, I have some information on the trade of witch finding because yes. I did a... 15-minute Wikipedia research session. So clearly, I have all the knowledge now. So according to Wikipedia, witch-finding or witch-hunting was a late medieval and early Enlightenment-era practice. Ironically, Enlightenment-era practice. Historically speaking, accused witches were almost always women, and their greatest sins was being a heretic, which was a result of being a witch. So... First they become a witch, then they're being labeled a heretic because they're witches, and that is the sin they get actually punished for, <laughs> for being a heretic. Uh, common ways of identifying a witch were pricking, by which a birthmark, which was believed to be the devil's mark, or a third nipple, anyone who has seen Good Omens, how many nipples have you got, laddie? would be pricked with a needle or another sharp instrument. And it was believed that witches would feel no pain and not bleed when pricked there if the skin could even be broken. And the trick that witch finders used was to use a blunt knife or instrument which wouldn't cut the skin in the first place. <sighs> of course. Then the second method was, of course, torture. And officially, torture was outlawed even back then, but not everything that we modern day sens sensible people consider torture counted as torture several hundred years ago. So drawing a confession from someone after depriving them of sleep was a common method. I wonder. Actually, Merlin got that part right. <laughs> like the show Merlin got yeah. that part right. Yeah. And then finally, the very famous swimming test, which probably everyone has heard about. It was based on the belief that any heretic who obviously rejected their baptism would in turn be rejected by water. And therefore, any witch that floats at the surface after being tied to a chair and dumped in a body of water was a witch and would have to be killed. Anyone who didn't float to the surface of, would simply drown. And either way, case closed, but at least the drowned victim died with a pure soul. Fun for everyone. What what I found really interesting about this uh, about the swimming test is that this method was abandoned after it was ruled that you needed a victim's permission before you were allowed to administer this test. So you couldn't just throw anyone willy nilly into a lake and see what happens. You had to have their permission first to do this test. That's interesting. Yeah, and then the the method was just abandoned because no one was using it. And during yeah. the height of the witch hunts in the late 16th and the first half of the 17th century, around 50,000 people were killed. Over 80% of them were women, and most of these women were over the age of 40. 
which just leads me to believe that basically they killed old older unmarried women who figured out how to heal people it's already just down to sexism like that is essentially like you know what it is so um yeah and uh christianity and all that kind of stuff it's a yeah it's very upsetting that it that you know it's something that happened to so many women but um you know luckily in Merlin, in this episode, no one dies, so that's good. I mean, no one, um, no one we like dies. <laughs> I mean, no one, no one dies of being accused of being a witch, so that's good. <laughs> I, true. I mean, okay, uh, Iridian is thought to be a sorcerer <laughs> by the end, but that's not why he dies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's it's correct. No one dies because they were accused of being a witch. <laughs> oh god um so uh overall thoughts before we jump into the episode because um i you so kind of my personal history with this episode is that as everyone knows from the last episode review beauty and the beast part two was the first episode i watched live on tv which means that the witch finder was the first promo that i ever got to see and the witch finder falls into the category of Merlin promos, similarly to Le Morte de Arthur, which is solid gold bullshit <laughs> because it, it it is a, it is basically leading you down the garden path so that you'll keep watching next week. And me, a wide-eyed, innocent eighteen-year-old uh, who had just started watching Merlin and didn't understand how television worked yet, I was. So sure that they were going to reveal Merlin's magic in this episode. <laughs> you poor, sweet, innocent child. Yeah, but at the time we we didn't know that I they know, had no intention of revealing it, and so there was no reason to think that it wouldn't happen. You know, it's like season two feels like a big deal at this point, and we're you know in the mid to late part of the season, and you think, well, why not? You know, and you just. Or at least you, or at least you're led to believe that the episode is about Merlin. So I remember this actually being one of my most anticipated episodes of Merlin that I have ever seen. Like I remember being so excited to watch this. And so at first, in the first few kind of times watching it and like over the years, it kind of, it was a huge disappointment for me because of the hype. That I had about it and to be fair that is kind of their fault because they just marketed it completely <laughs> incorrectly and it's such a shame because yeah it got people hyped for the wrong reason um even just by the virtue of the fact that the episode is not about Merlin um which is really interesting to me one of the very few Gaius centric episodes that we have in Merlin and yet I have a very love-hate relationship with this episode now, like 10 years later, because there are some, it, for me, it's one of the most twisted and dark episodes of Merlin that we have. Like, I'm very surprised that they got away with airing this when they did, the year they did, and in the time slot that they did, because this to me feels like very season five level of like uh, kind of adult stuff for me anyway. And I love that aspect of it. I'll come to Iridian in a minute because, wow, (laughs) as a villain, he is so compelling. But on the other hand, this episode makes no sense because I don't understand 
for one second how Iridian manages to get away with his plan, how he manages to dupe Uther, who is not an idiot, by the way, who, like, he shows up and after flat out admitting to Uther that he's going to torture Gaius in one way or another to get information out of him. Uther is then surprised that Gaius confesses to being a sorcerer. Like, do you not understand how torture works? People talk under torture, even when they haven't done it, just so that the torture will stop. And so for me, it's just, I don't believe for a second that Iridian could get away with this if anyone is acting in character. I can I can't believe that he's getting away with it just because of the timing. Because you have to remember that we just spend or that Uther rather just spent several weeks being manipulated and enchanted by a troll. And he has whether he admits it or not, he is traumatized by that. And he is very, you know, freshly traumatized by that. So when someone tells him, I have seen smoke in the shape of a horse, he's like, shit, <laughs> it's happening again. Better call the witch finder in. And he is so ready to believe everything because to him, Aredian is there to to save him. Like, um, when Aredian has his has his first scene with Uther and tells him like there's there's a stench Camelot is rotten to the core, Uther very readily believes it because he's just I mean, you know, it could be a very bad throwback to the actual stench of the troll, which I don't believe it is, but you know, it might come to mind for Uther. But also like just, you know, he he is the he considers himself the heart of Camelot and he was manipulated only last week or whenever this is supposed to be set after Beauty and the Beast. So I can totally believe that Uther right now is very ready to believe anything Aredian so-called proves to him in any way. I just think that, and like I'll get to this when we get to the scene, but I find Uther's defense of Gaius initially so fascinating because it shows how deep their bond of trust actually does run like we already knew that but this episode really solidifies that so for Uther to be presented with evidence of magical artifacts and still defend Gaius is such a huge deal that for him to just days later turn around and be like actually no I think that you did these things I think like I can see where you're coming from that you, maybe he does have this prideful side to him, but I just feel like it was the writers desperately trying to grasp at straws because for me, it's just too big a leap based on what we know about Uther, which is that if he was going to react this way, he would have reacted this way immediately. Amulet, oh, done and dusted. That's it, you know? And I feel like if anyone's acting out of character for me in this episode, it's mostly Uther. Like, as much as I find his actions really interesting, I also think that his scene with Gaius, where he says, you've betrayed me, Gaius, you've betrayed yourself. I mean, that, that you know, by any stretch of the imagination from what we know about Uther should have come as soon as the amulet was found. Like, it just seems, I don't know why we needed those scenes with Gaius being taught. Like, I mean, okay, let me be clear. Obviously, 
we needed them because Gaius doesn't actually confess because he can't stand the torture. He confesses to protect Merlin. Like he would have happily continued being deprived of sleep and water and food if he didn't know that Merlin was going to be targeted by Iridian. Like that's the only reason that he confessed. So I just feel as though it's a bit of a plot hole for me. Like it doesn't completely detract from the episode, but I do sit there genuinely for the entire episode going, how is anybody buying this? How is Merlin buying the fact that that amulet is Gaius's? How is Gaius buying the fact that that amulet is Merlin's? How is anyone buying any of this is what I'm trying to figure out. Like, is nobody smart in this episode, like, anymore? Iridian shows up with his ridiculous hat, and all of a sudden, it's just like, well, he took everyone's brain cells with him. The only person that's thinking clearly in this episode is Gwen. Barely, by the end of the episode, we get some kind of semblance of sanity from Merlin, where he's like, oh, shit, like, I need th- this uh, this proof, and so I'm going to go find it, and then she helps him. But up until that point, it takes him going up to Gaius in the cell and saying, I didn't even know that you had an amulet. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's clearly been planted. Why would Gaius keep an amulet hidden in a, a jar of sand? Like, just, just wh- what is happening? Sorry, I, like, I didn't think I'd get so upset about this. But to me, it's just so stupid. I love the tone and I think it's a really like uncomfortable episode to watch, which I like because I like things that make me uncomfortable. But at the same time, um, for me, plot wise, this is, this is le- so not watertight. For me, this is relying on a lot of people being really dumb. And I don't like plots like that because I want villains to get away with stuff because they're smarter than the protagonist, not because the protagonist is dumber than the villain. That's essentially my point. Okay. I actually really enjoyed this episode, which surprised me a lot that I enjoyed it. <laughs> Iridian is such a comical villain. Oh my god. I mean, I hate what he does to Gaius and that everyone believes it. But his one-liners are incredible. He honestly I can't to, wait till we get to that. He honest to God chuckles several times. Charles Dance <laughs> is an absolute genius. And I can't oh believe god. they got such amazing um talent to play minor roles two like three weeks in a row. I know. If you're counting both of Sarah Parrish's episodes, it's amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> I like that the episode was pretty tight. There are some things that I thought I could have done without, but not very many. I thought it was really well done, like really that's what made it very intense. Like there wasn't really any breathing space for you. It was just like one thing after the other, and I liked that in this episode. And if you ask me, if they had wanted, they could have turned this episode into a two-parter rather than mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. I think mm-hmm. making the Witchfinder uh, a two-parter episode, adding some flashbacks maybe to when Gaius and Uther were younger, you know, actually going as far as openly accusing Morgana of sorcery might have also been interesting. Mm-hmm. That could have made for really good two-parter in the middle of the series. That would have been so amazing. But, well, we could have had it all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. But having this as a two-parter would have been incredible. I mean, for, 
I feel like beating a dead horse whenever I say like episode placement, because the thing is, is that a lot of these early seasons just don't have an overall arc. Like season three sort of does because we've got the Morgana villainy going on, but seasons one and two just don't have that arc. And so I feel like me saying, oh, this should have gone earlier in the season. Like I might as well just say rewrite the season, which like I think these seasons could have done with being a bit more coherent thematically, like of course they could have. Like we did not need a two part episode with the troll and the witch finder, you know, coming immediately after that. And then that just being that it's like, you just have to take them as like their own self-contained things. But, um, you're right. The tone is incredible. I mean, there is a whole sequence I would have cut personally. I think there's a lot of fluff towards the end with Merlin sneaking around like, (sighs) but yeah, we'll get to that. But like, yeah, like you said, it, it, it is very tense. And I think one of the reasons why this episode feels so unusual is because the climaxes aren't in the places that you expect them to be. So for example, we, even if you've not seen the promo, you're expecting it, this to be Merlin's story because he's the first one being questioned and he gets um, f- found out within the first third of the episode, within the, almost the first act. Like you do not see that coming. So it's completely playing on your expectations. And then when you find out that this episode is actually going to be about Gaius, you're you're immediately on the edge of your seat because things have been happening so much faster than you thought. And now you realize, oh, the episode isn't about what I thought at all. So it really, really plays on your expectations. And that's, I think, the biggest strength, despite all the bullshit that I think is happening with the plot. It 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 it, it is great at doing that. So um shall we jump in? <laughs> you mean actually, you know, go into the deep water. Yeah. Yes. The very deep water. So once again, we have different scene titles. We won't agree. Nothing happened. It's it's a process. (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) I didn't do anything wrong. Anyway. (laughs) You totally didn't. Oh, God. Right. Uh, What's your first scene title? The one with the mysterious task in the woods. I've got the one with the wood. I mean, close enough. Because what the fuck are they even doing there? Why is Merlin there with strangers to begin with? <laughs> What's the boy? <laughs> you really need to calm, like you—you you can't get so nitpicky this early because you're gonna yes, just I exhaust can. yourself. You're gonna exhaust yourself. What do you mean this early? This is two seven. <laughs> No, I mean in the episode. Right. Like, it's the first scene. Let it be stupid. No. (laughs) Setting the setup is the whole thing that matters. If it doesn't make sense from the start, I will (laughs) never get into the episode because I'm distracted by the first scene already not making sense. I mean, I... I, there's no hope for me not being distracted in this scene and I think we all know exactly what I'm about to say because I have a very important costume note the costume note is that Colin is without a scarf no but like real talk I I feel like this regardless of the stupid setup I just I really find it interesting this episode coming like two episodes before lady of the lake and i know that there's no continuity like in terms of you know anything but i just think that you know the fact that he's been in camelot for what like we think coming up to a year now i'd say perhaps and like his life i think 
is not what he expected it was going to be. He's kind of coming to terms with the fact that maybe his magic isn't going to be seen as quickly as, you know, maybe he thought and that he's going to have to just deal with that. He still doesn't know that worse things are coming, of course. And the fact that he just kind of has this moment of like, I just want to make something pretty because I have magic and I just want to use my magic. And yeah, it's it's stupid, but it comes from a place of like such naivety and just kind of like, I don't know what to call it, just this innocence that I think it's so sweet. And then when he, you know, when the when the horse goes away and he has that look where he just looks down and he's just sort of like, yeah, and that's and that's that, and then back to reality. And it just kills me every yeah, time I see it. That's true. It's very it's very sad. Like his his the actual joy you see in his face as he does the spell <sighs> and watches the horse, and it's just for for a few pure seconds, he's just so happy with who he is and then he ends the spell and it literally and figuratively ends the spell and he's like you said back to reality and his face just falls and he's just sad and then of course on on the heels of that immediately comes this peasant woman who accosts him is like did you see that did you see that and he's you know, he went from from overworked to happy for a few seconds to sad to terrified in terrified. like five minutes. <laughs> and like what I find really interesting about this is we've spoken before about Merlin and how, you know, when he's lost his magic in season five and the one thing he does once he's got his magic back is create that butterfly that's kind of like a symbol of gentleness and everything that's right in the world. And the and the dichotomy between Merlin creating something so fragile as like you know a horse out of smoke, like a horse that's such a like majestic and you know good and like you know like just like everything that people like normally love, you know, like and just he's dancing in the smoke and it's so kind of whimsical and joyful and like childlike and you know not only for the woman to see it as something dangerous but also considering what the witnesses so-called later on say that they saw a sorcerer doing like hideous things like conjuring toads from their mouth and goblins dancing in the flames and then you compare it with the real magic that was actually happening and how harmless it was and you're just like these people just don't get it do they like and it's just such a you just want to bang heads together <laughs> like no he's just playing he's just playing and that the woman sees it like you said and she's she's scared of it and i'm like it's just a horse (laughs) it's just a horse the propaganda that uther has been putting out for 20 years is working it's it's Mm. taken root i mean that woman uh you know she looked what late 20s early 30s maybe not that much older i i don't have her face in my mind that fresh in my mind like she didn't look that old she would have been relatively young during the during the purge so that clearly made an impression on her and she clearly buys in like whether she actually buys into it or she's just afraid in general because 
she knows what Uther does to people who are suspected of sorcery, and she'd rather be the one reporting a sorcerer than, you know, being, you know, quote unquote, complicit by being silent. You know, I'm I'm th- I'm sure she's terrified of what might happen to her if she doesn't report it. Exactly, and so I mean that's the. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's it's just that's basically what propaganda does, and it's something yeah. we um not not to be too political or anything, but it's but it's something we see in everyday life these days as well. It's just people fear mongering for no good reason. And and creating a threat where there is none. Yeah. And the only thing I call bullshit on with this scene is that it's so clearly Merlin that did it. And yet she's like complete. And like, maybe it's just the fear that took over her. But I'm like, how how are you running up to him going, oh, my God, did you see that? How could you not see that and not realize that he's the one that conjured it? Like, who else could it have been? There was no one else within eyeshot. I mean, it could have been a powerful sorcerer who made himself invisible. That's true. But still, I'm just like, ugh. I mean, unless Merlin is like, like known to her, like, like, like he's not a stranger. Like maybe it's one of those things. Uh, and like, I'll get to this later, but we've discussed it before how Merlin is a master of disguise, really. Like we say he's not sneaky, but he's sneaky enough. Like no one would ever suspect him. So maybe that's what it is. It's like, you yeah, know, oh, maybe. it's Merlin. He's not yeah. a sorcerer, you know, yeah. um, uh the so that leads us into the next scene in which the woman is confessing or like uh, giving her testimony and i've called it the one with the melissa thriller jacket <laughs> because yeah, arthur is wearing back see i just called it the one with the audience and i'm amazed that just anyone can get an audience with uther so quickly uh, if they want to tell him that there's a sorcerer, he will be there. Fair enough. <laughs> that, that's the only explanation I have for why she basically runs back to the castle and gets an audience within five seconds. Well, yeah, because she would have been like, I'd like to report the, a crime of sorcery. And Uther yeah. has a sense for it. He's just like, he yeah. teleports himself there straight away. Um, I, yeah. What I really like is that, you know, she gives her testimony. And then Arthur is like, perhaps it was a trick of the light. Mm. And so Arthur is either highly skeptical of this eyewitness or he doesn't want to have to deal with the drama that is about to ensue, which he knows is about to ensue. Well, I love <laughs> of, of sorcery. Well, I like your interpretation of it for sure. But I have to say, Arthur really has impressed me in this episode. He's he barely have, in it. Yeah, yeah. He's barely in it. But like you can just like oh and this is why i wish they just weaved these things together a bit more strongly because you can see the seeds of the arthur that is going to be appearing in the next episode who is so willing to trust a sorcerer like to this extreme like he's a bit like he's slowly been learning little by little since season one where he said yes i know magic is an evil father and he's always been fair but like he's basically just like are you sure that's what you saw and he's being really really level-headed about it he's not jumping to conclusions and he's actually trying to yeah uh, uh, protect and to be fair based on this episode 
I'm like I can I can see why people had a theory that Arthur knew all yeah. along. I have, because I have a note on that in a later yeah. scene where I'm like, if you've only like watched up until this point and really are unspoiled, you really can start to think that Arthur knows about Merlin's magic just by the way he acts exactly. in this episode alone. Just in this episode alone, yeah. yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'm I'm very impressed with Arthur. I really like it sometimes when he's a background character because it kind of makes his re- like his behavior like I like I feel like I can kind of take it apart a bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, I really really like this. But um, um, like so <laughs> when Gaius starts piping up and being like uh the witch finder or something oh god i can't even because i didn't write down the exact line but all i've written is you should not be having this conversation here because they start having like a like a pretty private com- like a conversation they should be having in private like uther and gaius and like i'm just like there are people here there are like common like like peasants like what are you doing <laughs> yeah. can you calm down um just, but uh really like that yeah go ahead i just really like that we're throw that we're showing through everyone's reactions that the witchfinder is someone to be scared of. Mm-hmm. Like they, like everyone apart from Merlin, who is just very sweet and innocent. Um, everyone knows that this is scary shit because once the witchfinder, um, you know, has his eye on you, you know you're gonna die. That's yeah. This is yeah, and like I'll get to that. I mean, okay. Before we get into the serious stuff, can I just tell you my crack theory for this episode, please? Oh, please. <laughs> so, Iridian and Uther used to be lovers. I have the same crack theory! <laughs> and Gaius is not happy, nor is Iridian. And Iridian has it in for Gaius because Gaius and Uther are now husbands. And Iridian is back as... He is, he is Will, essentially. I have... Okay, I have the same exact thought. I will get to that when we get to their first meeting. I'm so okay. glad you've got this too. <laughs> I was watching you be like, oh my God, like I'm going to get killed for, for like such a no, serious episode no. and I'm here with my no, no, Iridian I'm, Uthership. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's so, it's um, so happening. But so. the next scene I have is, uh, be- before we get to the shipping, the one where Merlin is dressed down. See, I, I call it the one where Gaius tells everyone's Merlin's secret again. <laughs> oh, God's sake. <laughs> because for fuck's sake, Gaius, how about you put an advertisement in the paper? <laughs> Fewer people would find out about Merlin's magic solely based on the fact that they can't read. read. <laughs> exactly. But they can't hear you when you shout at the tops of your lungs that Merlin should keep his, sec- his magic secret. Oh my, oh my god. god. Gaius, there's a witch finder coming to Camelot. You're just shouting this out, Willy. Oh my god. And I just, like, I just put Gaius being Gaius and I love it. <laughs> How many times, Merlin? How many times have I had to tell you? But to be fair, to be fair to Gaius, I would have had it up to here at this point. True, but then you still Gaius has every reason to like, if Gaius had actually died, I would not have been surprised if he'd come back to haunt Merlin because (laughs) it's like, it's his fault. Merlin, my sweet, sweet boy. but for god's sake and like like i will say like this like this scene is you know it was kind of necessary because we needed guys to give merlin shit and like you know to be like some people know him as iridian but the thing is is like um 
What? <laughs> Just your impressions are great. Iridian. Um, but like, uh, but this scene is kind of stupid. Like, it gives this weird comic relief when it really shouldn't because we're meant to be dreading Iridian. But like, Merlin's basically like, oh, well, I should go get the book now. And like, oh, look, I'm not a witch. I don't have a hat or anything. And it's just like, um, not a dress. It's yeah, a, it's about like, the dress. I'm like, who and- wrote this? <laughs> like, the one I put, the one with the creepiest fuck entrance because we have not seen the courtyard look this scary ever. Like, did they actually wow. film this at night for a change? It looks a bit blue for my liking, okay. but I don't know. Um, I have, I have the feeling that that's the same cage they use for Freya later. I mean, it's yeah. probably the same prop. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is you know, he just travels with that for show because he doesn't use oh, it yeah. once. Like, he doesn't just... use it. He uses it at the yeah. end when he. Oh, I, what to bring Gaius out? Yeah, I will get to that as well because, like, that's just pointless yeah um this is really like the music and just the way oh morgana in this like i love like i know that we've discussed morgana in the witchfinder before and like especially her last scene but i actually really like what they did with morgana and the fact that they remembered to include her in this narrative i'm really impressed because i would not have expected that much from the writers to be honest with you (laughs) like the fact that like that oh hang on morgana might be scared of this dude like it's really good and isn't there a bit where he looks up and she like jumps and i'm just like like, yes, mm, yes, so absolutely. but like his first line, I'm being expected. Oh my god, it's, it's already <laughs> begun. It's begun. It has, can we just, it's begun. Like, we shouldn't be laughing. Like, I don't know if he was, Listen, like... Kanan wasn't supposed to be funny either, and yet you're laughing about him all the time. Oh, yeah, but Kanan is just ridiculous. Imagine, I mean, but, like, some of the things that, that um, Iridian says really come close to, it's harvest time! Oh, my God. Like... Yeah, he's like Kanan, but just like the, like, he he doesn't need to shout to be funny. No, <laughs> it's just... No. Um, the one I've put next is the one with the helpful exposition because we have a walk and talk scene between Uther and Arthur in which Arthur asks, where has Iridian been? And my answer to that was where the plot didn't need him. But the actual answer Uther says is wherever the pursuit of sorcery takes him. And I'm like, oh my God, you two are such a couple. You two are such a couple just, because I, you're both so fucking expert. I, I completely missed that line, but I was asking myself... I was asking myself where he has been that he made it to Camelot this quickly or <laughs> if he didn't make it this quickly to Camelot how long what were we supposed to think this has lasted between Uther summoning him and him arriving because it looks like it's been less than a day so clearly he must have been very nearby <laughs> listen you know he was just behind that pillar the whole time he was 
He didn't move. He was, like he was li- li- living down in Pierrefonds the entire time. <laughs> he, was, he was living at the B and B that I stay in when I go there for every August. Oh my god, that's really close, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why he got there so quickly. In fact, it only took him that long because he had to put on his eyeliner. Like he did, to no, like extra it. scary. Yeah had to get his his cage out of hiding oh my god he had to like de-rust it or like put something on it it's like i am expected oh my god honestly though can we just talk about iridian's entrance do you smell it just, and then yeah. like dark fucking vader coming out from behind the pillar like you know, <laughs> I listen. My note for this, my first note for this scene is kudos to Charles Stans for keeping a straight face through any <laughs> and of that. Well. It's, it's only his second scene, and I'm already dying from laughter. And then, oh my god! And then Arthur's face, like I paused to make a note, and I I paused <laughs> on Uther and Arthur's face, just Arthur's face in that scene, when Iridian asks Uther if he can smell the magic, it's just, Arthur's face is just amazing. Oh my god, he's he's like, there's two of them. (laughs) He's just super not sure about this weird dude that just showed up, and he thought his, like, he thought his father was manic and obsessed, but Iridian is on a whole new level, and Arthur's like, I'm not surprised that Arthur is skeptical of this dude, considering that when he talks about the young and the fair, he turns to Arthur and put, gives him a pointed what? look. Really <laughs> if I were Arthur, I would be very, very uncomfortable. Like, oh, great, I've just had Katrina. Now there's more of my dad's exes. Arthur <laughs> is so sassy. Iridian says to Arthur, you must be Arthur. And Arthur says, I must be. <laughs> and just, Arthur is such a sass pot in this, in this scene, but also in this episode. It's just uh, and Iridian like is savage AF because he's basically just like then you won't be offended when I say I have no need for you <laughs> and Arthur's just and like I- oh great rejection is my middle name okay and to come to my crack theory about their relation about Uther's and Iridian's relationship uh but what like prompted me was the way that Iridian talks to Uther and how Uther would not let anyone ever talk to him this way if anyone oh, dared yeah. to talk Uther that way they'd be a head shorter literally not just you know metaphorically literally yeah. a head shorter yeah the scene just ending with I've already begun is oh just God. like so creepy the o- like <sighs> the only reason he says that is because someone one of the writers wanted to put that line in and that's why Arthur asks so when are you going to begin? Because there's no point of him asking that either. Like, Arthur is smart enough to assume that Iridian is either going to start the very next morning, because it's night right now, or, you know, he's already started making observations. Arthur knows this. So the only reason they gave him this line is because one of the writers was like, wouldn't it be cool if Iridian looked ominously into the camera and said, I have already begun. He's very, very one step ahead of everybody else. So yeah, I liked that line personally. But um, I just speak- can't take him seriously. That's yeah. Um, the scene title I have next is the one with the interesting fashion choice because Iridian shows up in the market wearing 
wearing a Zorro cosplay is the only thing I can really describe it as because I'm pretty sure I've looked exactly like that in a Zorro cosplay in 2013 when I went to MCM Expo wearing a Zorro cosplay. And I'm just like, what were they thinking? It's- Look at him. He's got his shirt undone or whatever he's doing. That he's head. in all black and he's wearing, um, what do you call it? A sombrero, essentially. It's I'm not, just. No, that's not what it is. But it's a hat with a very wi- wide brim. And it's just, he needs that so he won't get sunburned. He needs it to look ridiculous and extra. Yeah. I just can't. I can't. Like, it's, oh my God. Um, it's oh. for me this scene. I my scene title is the one uh, with other with the other meeting of the exes. Uh, for me, it reads like guys and Iridia, Iridian are also exes or were rivals over Uther's affections once upon a time, and they're meeting again after twenty years. Except yeah. they clearly despise each other. Where Uther is like all hero worship and admiration. Uh, Gaius is like. I had hoped I would never have to see your ugly mug ever again. And now here you are. And I wish I could stab you in the face. Um, But yeah, this is like you just said, this is the meeting of the exes. This basically reads to me, like I said, when Will was introduced to Arthur in the moment of truth, I basically felt like I was watching the exact same scene. Um, But the, but the serious note I have about this is Merlin I, I know that he's scared, but he, he's not doing himself any favors because his poker face is so bad. Like, I mean, look, oh, I, th- <clears throat> right. I still can't quite figure out, but in my opinion, it's my headcanon that Iridian knows that Merlin conjured that smoke. Iridian doesn't care that Merlin conjured that smoke because he, I think actually does have it in for Gaius, even though he's more out to just get the money. I think there's something about Gaius that gets him as well, because he's very, very intent on framing Gaius when he could just, you know, frame Merlin because Merlin, you know, was a witness and has a lot of, you know, um, circumstantial evidence against him. But I feel like Iridian does actually know that Merlin is a sorcerer. And so for me, I'm like, considering that Iridian could have, burnt Merlin at the stake anyway like Merlin is still on top of that not helping himself by the fact that he just has guilt written all over him the thing is and I've noticed this across the entire episode Merlin but also Morgana look very frightened and suspicious Mm -hmm. and shifty and guilty the entire episode Mm -hmm. and no one notices or Mm -hmm. if Aredia notices which I think he probably does in some way i have notes on that in a later uh, in a later scene um he deliberately doesn't act on it but i'm amazed that no one else notices it like literally no one else notices it but you know this is merlin i can't expect this show to actually Makes sense. I mean, to be fair, Merlin doesn't really interact with anybody else in the episode, apart from Gaius. Like, he barely interacts with Arthur. Like, there's just that one scene later on. But I assume your note's going to be about Gwen, which I'll get to as well when we when we discuss that. Because, yeah, the fact that Gwen didn't pick up on any of this is just 
utter bullshit um but yeah so essentially iridian is just like beard my chambers in an hour um and merlin is shit scared um and uh shows up uh at iridian's chambers uh with the scene where i've called it the one where merlin is bad at lying i called um i call it the one in which iridian continues to be extra because he has a skull for his inkwell and quill and he carries it around. He just doesn't just keep it in his room. No, he carries it down to the dungeon where he later uh, interrogates and tortures Gaius. He has it there as well. And I'm just like, either he has several of these. He probably bought them at bargain price somewhere. And has like a whole set of them. And he just distributes them wherever he needs one. Or he just literally carries that thing around the castle because he needs it to be sitting on his desk to look ominous or as I like to call it, ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, um, let's get to the actual content. <laughs> well, I mean, look, this is a really good scene. First of all, I want to talk about, um, and this comes up later on as well when Iridian is talking to Morgana, but but uh, more specifically here, his body language to me is fascinating because like I said, he already knows that Merlin's guilty. He already knows that he's going to accuse Merlin of being guilty. And yet he's acting very normal and very casual. Like this is just a regular conversation. And he's talking to Merlin as a witness until he just goes, unless it was you that conjured the smoke, which I think is so interesting in how it puts Merlin really on edge. The only thing that really bothers me about this is again, I'm just a bit like, I don't really understand how Iridian keeps getting away with this because even though he clearly is going to blame Merlin anyway, I'm just like, Merlin, like you, you, you basically said, I didn't see what she saw. And Iridian's like, hmm, that's funny. How can one person see something and the other one not? And in my head, I'm there screaming like, well, it's very easy to see something that the other person didn't when the something is smoke and it's windy. Like, that can very easily be misconstrued. So Iridian's argument doesn't hold any water whatsoever. And then when he's like, well, can you prove that it wasn't you? And if I were Merlin, I would have just turned around and been like, well, how can you prove it wasn't her? She's the one that saw it too. I'm not the only one that was there. How do you know she's not the sorcerer? So just like, and again, I know that doesn't matter to Iridian, but if I was Merlin, I would have just, I wouldn't have just sat there. I would have like made that logical <clears throat> argument which is but like well I if think- i was a witness like, she's also just as looks just as yeah. guilty as he does okay but the thing is a merlin knows it was him so therefore b he doesn't want to accuse someone else like merlin knows it was him and the only way he sees is for it to deny it because he like the thought of of accusing someone else who he knows is innocent never even crosses his mind because that's not the kind of person he is in at this point in his life. Yeah, that is true. Like that because he knows that accusing someone else is basically a death could be a death sentence for them. Mm. And he's just like he's you know, he's not going to condemn someone who definitely didn't do it and even if they had done it, it was just an innocent bit of magic because he was playing, you know, yeah. to to kill someone over that it's just that's out of the question for him so that definitely didn't strike me uh didn't strike me as anything unusual because it never even occurred to me that merlin could accuse someone else because that's just not what merlin would do 
But even that he just doesn't, like, even think to say, well, just because I was a witness, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm any more guilty than the other people that were there. Is like, is like what I'm trying to say because there, there were several people there, not, uh, not just the woman, but we saw other people in the background and like that, you know, makes his thing even more stupid, obviously. But, um, it's still a very unsettling scene. Like, like as well, like I said, when Iridian just kind of immediately looks up because he's not like, I don't think he's making eye contact with Merlin, which is obviously another trick that he's using to make him more uncomfortable. He's a master at that kind of like, you know, um, uh, oh, yeah. uh he's really people. good at yeah yeah he's just really good at putting people on edge really good in the hopes that they will tell him something and it works a lot of the time it works really really yeah it does and it makes me wonder if again at this point i don't know if he's it's the one thing i can't figure out with iridian is his motive because i do genuinely think he does have it in for gaius at some like to some degree but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I wonder if he what, like knew that Merlin was guilty, was like, oh, I can make a quick buck out of killing Merlin because obviously he plants the amulet in like hoping to catch Merlin out because he knows he's going to accuse Merlin. And then when Gaius uh, confesses, it's like basically an extra bonus to him. But I don't know, like what do you think his deal is like do you think he's intentionally going after Merlin or he's actually trying to go after Gaius this entire time I am very mixed about this as well because I can't quite figure it out for myself the only thing I can think of is that similar to what you were saying he went after Merlin because it's such an easy way to to earn his money then Gaius sacrifices himself basically and origin is like jackpot uh like two birds with one stone he gets rid of gaius and he gets paid and then of course he still has merlin in the backhand he can still accuse merlin of which something. he does threaten we, yeah that's true yeah so he can make even more money with that and then when of course morgana enters the picture he's just like oh my god i'm gonna be rich that is true so um yeah that's that's what i think might have been how that went yeah i think that you might be right there that he's basically just he's basically doesn't have a set plan he's just seeing what's gonna work best yeah, yeah. exactly he's just he's just playing it by ear and making the best of any given situation because he's he's a very skilled con man he's been doing this for over 20 years you know do you think he's ever caught a real sorcerer <laughs> Maybe by accident. <laughs> well, speaking. I mean, he he nearly by accident caught Merlin. That's true. So um, I mean, speaking of fake sorcery, um, we've yeah. got. I've I've just called it the one with the ladies. I've called the one with the peasant. Oh yeah. Um, again, I'm just again. I'm just gonna feel like I'm re repeating myself. The fact that anybody buys this, the fact that right after oh, a radiant, oh, oh, yeah, no, but. But okay, sorry. No, for please, please do. But on the on the count of anyone buying this, I know the writers didn't think ahead that far yet because they are the writers. But in the context of knowing what happened, what we learn about later in the show, the first one talks about drowned people that she's seen in. The oh, I know, and that like that would give Uther if he already knew that that's what he has done in the past. It would give him so many creeps. And 
honestly, from that point on, he probably just believes anything That's true. any of them say. Because, you know, he definitely knows he drowned people like so like he definitely drowned source of people he believed to be sorcerers. So for them to come back and haunt the well is clearly something he thinks is possible. This is true. <laughs> and I just have written down here Uther's reactions. And I can't picture them in my head right now, but for me to have written it down, he was probably doing something very dramatic. Like it just yeah. like <gasps> I mean he, he also he also says I scarcely believe that's it. the one I think I think that's that might because be. they're all crack dreams Uther. they are not free <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but okay but I also like for this scene I also have if anyone in this kingdom had any skills at reading people they all would have noticed how terrified Morgana was this is the and thing. again they might have put it down to her being afraid of the sorcerer not for herself so I that's how I excuse how I excuse it in this scene or just um, that she's, you know, got them d- delicate female sensibilities and this is just all too much for her sort of thing. Like, I could definitely buy yeah. into that as well, you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I can, yeah, I can buy into it in, in, that, in that scene. I can't really buy into it in any other yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, like, this is a very interesting scene for me. Like I said, we basically, you know, what What as an audience member, I think you expect to take the majority of the episode, which is Merlin's interrogation and him being found guilty, happens within the first five minutes of Iridium being in Camelot. He's accused in front of the entire court of being a sorcerer. And, you know, I, I'm, we have a very, very biased view of this show because we see it purely from Merlin's POV and I think sometimes it's really difficult for us to take a step back and look at Merlin the character not Merlin the show but Merlin our Merlin the way that the other characters see him because based off of everybody's reaction in that room we know how they see Merlin and everyone including Uther is just like what like they just don't buy it and i find that so fascinating that again i don't want to go into the marketing too much but the fact that it was marketed like merlin is you know they they make it look like merlin's put in dungeon for being a sorcerer and everyone takes him and like is dragged off which of course that was you know very cleverly edited to look like something else but um the fact that Arthur is just like Merlin. Gwen is looking around going, huh, huh? And the only one that's taking it seriously is Gaius, who's like, you have no evidence. But Uther is uncharacteristically calm in this moment. And like I said, I think it's a testament to how long Merlin's been in Camelot at this point and how much everyone trusts him and how much everyone trusts Arthur, who trusts him. It's just like, they, they're they just like, no, you got to show me some more evidence. Normally, Iridian's word would be enough but not here. And it's so fascinating to me. Lucky Merlin, you know? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. I mean, it's for for some of them, it's that Arthur trusts Merlin. Others know Merlin themselves. And for Uther, it's probably this that Merlin is like, basically to Gaius what Morgana is to Uther. Like, but also he's, important he's, to Arthur. Like, you know, he knows him through Arthur in a way that Arthur trusts him and he's Arthur's loyal servant who he's, you yeah. know, knows would do anything yeah. for Arthur. And I mean, they've they've had this moment in Excalibur yeah. where Uther even comments on how loyal Merlin has been to Arthur and everything. So yeah, I, I can definitely yeah. see what you're saying. But also, I want to say that 
this this scene is really where it was cemented for me that if I didn't know that later on we realized that Arthur never knew about Merlin's magic until Merlin tells him in at the end of the show is this episode would have convinced me that Arthur already knows about Merlin's magic and is just trying to protect him. Like this is the episode I think that made everyone believe that Arthur knows that Merlin has magic and is just waiting for Merlin to tell him because the way Arthur acts so protective of Merlin is on the one hand, you know, just, you know, born out of loyalty, but can also definitely make you think, oh, Arthur knows. And he knows that Merlin's magic is used for good and not for evil. Yeah. It would have been such an interesting version of the show. It really would have. But um, what... (laughs) Yeah, right. What I love is this is our very, very important addition to the tally of the times where Uther says Merlin's name. (gasps) No. Yeah, did you not notice? No. So so when Iridian goes, I'm sure a search of the boys' chambers will bring us everything we need, and Uta just goes, Merlin. And I was just like, <gasps> like I forgot it's in that moment. Yeah. It's so like he just outright addresses him like to his face. I'm like, wow. I know. It's like incredible. Um and yeah, Merlin just says, I have nothing to hide from him. And so they go into the one with the paper shower, I've called it, because the, I mean, the amount of dramatics that is happening in this scene. I mean, really, is it, is it, nece- oh. is, is any of what is happening in front of my eyes necessary? It's only <sighs> because Aridian has so much fun having oh, Gaius's workroom trashed. That is the only reason. It is happening to this extent. Careful, this Iridian... is my life's work. He's just standing there, like, just... But how how dare Iridian make Leon complicit in this false conviction? My poor angel, darling ginger boy deserves so much better, and yet he made him find the amulet. I mean, I'm... Which is actually a bracelet. Yeah, well, you know. Um... um... Yeah, the amount of extra that is happening in this scene. Aridian saying uh, sorcerers are masters of concealment. And, you know, so like just making them like go through everything. Also, Arthur protect because Arthur is defending Gaius and asking them to be, yeah. to go easy on, on the place. And so we stan Arthur a lot in this scene because he's a good boy. Um and once once Leon finds this this planted bracelet, which the audience knows this was planted, like we all know this isn't real. Um but Arthur looks so disbelieving and Leon looks so dis like no one buys. Like on I I know we said that everyone buys this, but actually none of them really buy this. None of them are like Okay, this makes total sense. Not all of them are like, "What the fuck is happening? This can't be real." Yeah, I'm. Just... It's just that no one speaks out about it. They all just take it in blind faith because they know how manic Uther is about Iridian. Like they go along with it for, because they're afraid of Uther, probably. But like, what really bothers me is that everyone, at least, believes that it's supposedly enchanted. Which, how do they know? that it's enchanted they they're just taking iridian's word for it but how does iridian know that this that this bracelet is enchanted is it by the 
enormous yellow stone that looks fake as fuck? Or is it from the form of the bracelet? Because why does no one question Morgana's bracelet later in the season? Or the one she gives to Arthur in season three? So if it's not the shape of the thing, what else is it? I'm just It could just be that it is concealed in a powder jar that makes it look suspicious. You could just put your your valuables in the in that jar because you don't want them stolen. I mean, it it was supposed to be made of silver, probably. Like I would I would hide my valuables somewhere if I lived in the Middle Ages. Like, why would you keep that lying around where anyone could just see and steal it, even if you do live in the castle? I mean, you were just you were just invaded by a troll who want, who liked shiny things. It might have just been left in the jar because they were hiding it from the troll. Like that that's the one thing that really doesn't make sense to me. It's like, what is what is the evidence that this is enchanted? It doesn't glow. At least as far as I remember, it doesn't glow. It doesn't make a sound or anything. It doesn't have an immediate effect upon touching it. What is it for if it's supposed to be enchanted? Um, so the first one in the dungeon I have for, for the next scene, um, which is a very, very short uh, uh, transition scene, which is just essentially Merlin getting out of the dungeon. But the reason why I wanted to c- touch upon it is, again, some more Merlin meta in that, you know, I feel as though Merlin and his, you know, mental health and everything isn't really covered in the show at all. But in my <laughs> head, but in my head canon, he's probably had nightmares very similar to this situation quite a few times since coming to Camelot. The thought of sitting in a cold, dark cell waiting for his verdict after being found out about his powers and the way that he's just sitting and making himself as small as possible and fidgeting and looking really scared, I'm just like, I'm glad that I didn't have to see that ever again <laughs> because it's really hard to watch. Like, my poor baby. <laughs> I, I found it much harder to watch him in the next Oh, that one too, yeah. Home. And it's just heartbreaking as he walks into the workshop to find it all trashed and he's just like touching broken... Um, vials and just he just he you can tell he's regretting all of his choices right now yeah like all of them every single because, one he made since he came to Camelot yeah because like, it's his including coming yeah, to Camelot it's his you know like even though yeah and like no it's, yeah but it's his fault is is like what I'm yeah, saying it's a, yeah. yeah yeah um it's his fault oh sorry I thought that you said it's his home <laughs> oh no I mean it's both yeah it's it's his home and it's his home that's been trashed but it's also his fault that it was yeah. trashed. And like I look, at the end of the day, I also feel a bit bad because I feel like this is kind of encroaching a bit on like victim blaming in a way, because it's like, you know, it's Iridian's fault. Like it's Iridian's yes. fault that Gaius is in the position that he's in and that his place was trashed, and it's Iridian's fault that he planted the amulet. But Merlin was very careless is i think what i'm yes. trying to say and yes, indirectly he caused iridian to come to camelot and do the things that he like, did his actions had consequences and we're seeing these yeah. consequences exactly um but i had the same thing for my next scene which was the one with the wrecked room and co- like 
I'm going to talk about this more in a later scene, but this episode for me is when I really started to realize as a Merlin viewer that Colin Morgan was something special because he impresses me so much in this episode with he doesn't have a huge amount of screen time in terms of like dramatic stuff that he gets to do like he's got like the whole detective Gwen storyline later on but he has a few select scenes in which he gets to do some really amazing stuff and like my real kind of first oh my god wow moment with him was the end of the lady of the lake like when I was watching it in real time but this episode I remember watching it live on tv and being like um a pretty uh disappointed by the plot but by Colin Morgan I was just blown away and I was like I need to keep an eye on this one. I I have a feeling that he's going to be very important to me. <laughs> and he was very important to me. Um so uh yeah, what what is the next scene that we have? I've got the one the one with dinner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely. We we learn a little more about the prequel that never was. Arthur learns, you mean? <laughs> Arthur there's a lot he doesn't know about. He's basically, when Iridian is like, yes, Gaius has a history of magic, and Arthur goes like, what? Uh, no, but Arthur's <laughs> like, uh, I know better than you. He's my stepdad. <laughs> and Truly, he looks, he looks to Uther and is like, stepdad used magic? <laughs> it's like, Papa? So Papa used magic? And Arthur's and just... He's just yeah. And then Uther just believes in his husband's innocence and doesn't want him to be tortured, which I really like that Uther is like, do you really, like, Gaius is an old man, do you really think these means are necessary? Um, But, you know, then Iridian goes like, oh yes, if you want results, you have to be drastic. And then Uther doesn't refute it anymore, which means that he clearly holds his abusive ex over, like the the hold his abusive ex has hold, has over him, is bigger than Uther's love and trust in his spouse, which is a tragedy. Yeah, but the thing is, is that I honestly still feel as though Uther does kind of impress me in this scene because he is so trusting of Gaius. He's like, Gaius, you know, even when he's presented with a magical artifact and even when Gaius has said, this is mine, and not to Uther's face, but to Iridian, who would then have passed it on to Uther, Uther is still sitting there going, this amulet could just be some stupid mistake. Those are the exact yeah. words that he and says. This is not the yeah. Uther we know. Uther, Uther is very very ready to believe that Gaius had very good reason to have this this bracelet and to have like reason that Uther would understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uther is like I said, Uther is very ready to believe Gaius's innocence and doesn't want him to to suffer any more than he already has. But he's also swayed by Iridian's words because clearly Iridian still has power over him. Yeah. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out what it is about this that that sways Uther. Because 
all Iridian says is, it's the only way to rid your mind of doubt. But Uther doesn't look doubtful to me in this scene. He looks very sure of himself that Gaius has put all of this behind him. Unless I'm reading yeah. it wrong. Like, I could just be reading no. it wrong. No, I would... I think what makes Uther doubt is Iridian saying, you should doubt. Yeah, I, I think that, and again, I'm coming at this with the perspective that Uther is, you know, just spent weeks under the spell of a troll, and Uther has basically lost the ability to trust himself and to trust his instincts. That's part of the the trauma he carries at the moment is that he doesn't trust himself anymore because he thought that he was in love with Katrina but it was all an enchantment and clever manipulation exactly. by a troll who only made herself look like Katrina. So Uther, Uther can't trust his own, his own instincts anymore because they already led him astray very recently. So therefore, maybe it is better to have proof beyond any doubt that Gaius is either innocent, which he believes at the moment. So he believes that, you know, torturing him will only confirm what Gaius, what Uther already believes, which is that Gaius is innocent, which is why it's such a shock to him when Gaius later on confesses. Because he's like, fuck, I really can't trust myself. That's anymore. true. And I wish we had more of that because I really like what you're saying. I just wish that it was like, and all the stuff you're bringing up about Beauty and the Beast, like I wish that that was in there because this is essentially pure headcanon. None of it really has any basis in canon because it's not said, which is ridiculous because obviously we should be able to infer that. But because Merlin just doesn't really do consistent plots, we can't infer that Uther is suspicious because of Katrina. We just can't. And it's annoying because it would have taken one line, you know? Well, I called the next one the one with the snappy one-liners. Oh, my God. Aurelian <laughs> uh, wakes up Gaius with a bucket of water. What to the time is it? Time for you to confess. <laughs> oh we God. should get an Oscar, guys. I'm just saying, like, just nominate us already. <laughs> To be fair, that was actually a great line and it wasn't forced at all. Right, so time for you to confess. And um, the thing is, is this is actually really hard to watch. Like, I'm really curious, actually, and I it, it, it didn't hit me until just now, how Richard managed to do these scenes, like, at his age. Because he's really being slapped about, you know? Yeah, I think for some of it, it's like I was thinking that when they shove him back into the cell yeah. and he falls down, we don't see his face. I'm pretty sure that's a stunt. That's like. probably true, actually. Yeah, That's probably not Richard himself, who's being like violently shoved to the point where he falls down onto st a hard stone floor. That's probably a stuntman. And then, because the next shot, we like when we see his face, is there's definitely been a cut to just a close up of his face. So we, you know, there was time to for him to get into position. Yeah, that's and true, then, and that, yeah, and that's and just and that's just up. clever editing. So, yeah, true. So I think um, 
there's probably some stunt manning going mm-hmm. on there. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, that's fair. But uh, this uh, this is a this is the first time, and I believe the only time they ever do this in Merlin, which is this cute little montage thing where they kind of have oh, yeah. like the fadey in and outy scenes to show the passage of time, which I think is really cool, and it kind of like further emphasizes the repetitiveness of iridian's methods and how he's basically just playing mind games and what i will say and i don't know if this would have been different if the show was for adults i wonder if we would have actually seen torture but from the way that uther talks about iridian's methods and how like i know how formidable they are i'm just a bit like I was expecting something more. Like, all he does is deprive Gaius of water and, like, wakes him up early. Like, it's not really anything... Like, it's it's more psychological warfare that he's playing with both Gaius and with Morgana. Like, he doesn't actually physically harm Gaius at all. He's just kind of not letting him sleep much, which, yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's a very effective means of torture. That's very effective. But is he even depriving him of that much sleep, really, though? Like, that's what I want to know. I'm pretty sure it's inferred that, like, for me, that's at least what I got out of it, is that guys is being woken up at irregular, irregular intervals. I could also see, again, this is a headcanon, but, like, I could see that the guards for example were instructed to keep guys awake or make him wake up every hour or so you know just yeah just fair enough of, of sleep like just the way guys looks after just a, like a few moments into the montage like a few scenes into the montage he looks very much worse for wear already and that comes with like steady sleep deprivation and really don't underestimate underestimate the psychological torture of not being able to get a full night's rest in a few days and to also being afraid for your life because Gaius knows that you know he he will either die from torture or if he confesses he will die yeah on the stake like Gaius basically knows at this point in time that his life is over and that does something to you as a person that's true that is very even when you're as old as Gaius and have faced death several times already in this show and did not die miraculously yeah geez well that kind of leads us nicely into the one with the dragon which i feel is what we call every scene that there is like it like it doesn't matter what episode it's in it's always just the one with the dragon um this scene honestly is so superfluous in my opinion we did not need this scene because i really wonder what it is that merlin expected to accomplish by going to see the dragon like he tells the dragon that he's going to sacrifice himself and like that's the only reason to have this exposition of Merlin telling someone that he's going to expose himself so we so we the viewers know that Merlin has this plan to save Gaius. But like um what is what has he hoped the dragon will do about it? Like he does he hope the dragon will talk him out of it, which definitely the dragon will do because the dragon keeps going on and on and on about Merlin's destiny. And there was nothing the dragon could have done. And I can't believe Merlin didn't already know this. Like, 
Yeah. Um, Why would we go to him? This is just... So in terms of yeah. plot, I agree with you that this scene is is superfluous in terms of plot and moving the plot forward. What I will say is this is actually one of my favorite scenes in Merlin is this scene. And the reason why is because for me, there's something really, really hard about watching. Well, first of all, I think that Colin's acting in this is absolutely superb. And, you know, he kind of goes and goes to rant and he's like, I, I did a stupid thing. Um, and now guys is going to die. And then the dragon just kind of, you know, stands there and doesn't say much. But uh, but then, Mer- you know, he says, well, guys doesn't mean anything to me. And the little hitch in Merlin's voice when he says, but he means a great deal to me is so heartbreaking. And essentially what makes this for me one of my favorite like Merlin scenes, like for the character and just in the show, it's when he says to the dragon, well, look, there has to be something that we can do. There has to be something. Please, please help me. And what kills me is that, so do you know when you uh, have a problem and you go to your parent and you expect your parent to be this flaw, like, you know, like, but like when you're, you know, a bit, a bit younger and like, you know, you don't really know how the world works and you expect your parents to be this um, kind of infallible pillar of support. Like they're not necessarily always your best friend, but they know so much more than you. They're older and your parents just always seem right. Like they always will have the answer. It doesn't matter what you go to them with, they will always have something, some kind of advice for you. And Merlin goes to the dragon and the dragon has always said something. Like, even if he doesn't agree with it, he's always been like, actually, no, you should do this. You should do this. And all he has to say to him is, I can't help you because I don't know how. And it's, this creature has been on this earth for how long did, is it like, like, is it thousands of years? Does he say in the show? Or hundreds? No, I think so. Or I think thousands. Thousands. He's seen it all. And Merlin knows this. And I think for him to go to the dragon in a moment of desperation like that, just hoping that he will have something to offer and he has no advice for him. He doesn't know how. And he even says, I'm so sorry, and just leaves. And for me, that is so heartbreaking. And it's not relevant to the plot in terms of pushing it forward. But it, for me, what it does is it really, really like hammers home how fucked Merlin is because he is not in a position to help Gaius. Like we, we as an audience think, well, maybe he'll be able to get him out of this. And what we really realize in that scene is that Iridian is just better. There is no getting out for Merlin in this in this situation. And I completely understand why you might not like it. I think for me, it's just always, always hit home because of that symbolism of Kilgara being so much smarter, so much older there and so much more knowledgeable than Merlin. And just he's... He just has nothing. He, he he has nothing to help him with. And I'm just like, every time I see it, I just feel like crying. It really, really gets to me. But um, that could just be me. You know, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe someone else who's listening will be like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of Merlin needing someone to talk to about this and clearly no one else being qualified because the only other person he would usually talk to is Gaius, and well, Gaius is not an option right now, is, you know, 
in terms of that, I can see the value of this episode. Merlin just needs someone to talk to about all of it. So I suppose, all right, um, I'll allow this scene. <laughs> <laughs> because Merlin, Merlin, like it's been it's been a few days at this point. Merlin is worried about Gaius, and he he just needs to tell someone something about what's what's going on, what's happened, because he hasn't had a chance to talk to Gaius since you know since the day that Merlin was po- to, uh, accused of being being the sorcerer. So, yeah, exactly, and. Oh man, it's so oh, it just gives me chills. Like oh, just every time, every single time I see it. And Colin, by the way, is also without a scarf. I just really wanted people to be aware of this fact because um, he is, and it's very important yeah. to me. Um, the one with the interrogation part two, the the angst continues, but obviously peppered with uh, the genius that is Charles Dance because he just leans into guys during his monologue of extra and goes, sorcery is your only master. He's <laughs> just like, you're a traitor to your king. You serve no one. Sorcery is your only master. <laughs> we just... <laughs> Oh, his lines are just amazing. I literally wrote every single one of them down because I didn't want to forget. It's just like what if um oh my god. Like but okay, Iridian honestly is he's so fucking clever because he and I like I don't know what he was hoping to get out of guys, but he's like you said he's basically pushing him to just slip up a little. Like guys doesn't even say anything incriminating. He just is stating things that are true. I've saved his life. I've treated his ward. I've looked after his only son. And Iridian just picks up on the treated his ward. And he is, he is genius. Like the way that he manages to, to spin that. And I'm just like, yeah, none of them ever stood a chance, really. And I love all also- Like yeah. I said, he's a very clever con man. Mm-hmm. He is very smart. And getting Gaius in in his clutches is just basically the biggest jackpot like honestly based on what Gaius said he he could probably even make a case for Arthur being somehow a sorcerer because Gaius has looked after Arthur as well that is true you know, I, I mean, mean I Gaius think that was specifically a- said treated his ward yeah. but it's still he's clearly because that's what what Gaius uh, what Iridian says later is like you've clearly influenced uh, Merlin and the Lady Morgana and you know that could be true for Arthur as well absolutely and what and like what I've written down here is this is a battle of the minds because Gaius is not an idiot either like he didn't really realize that he slept the moment and it doesn't take him long by the way to realize where he went wrong the moment he realizes he is immediately like you know backtracking like he kind of stumbles on the word nightmares and then realizes that it's better off to follow through otherwise he'll look suspicious and then he starts talking about something else and Iridian goes yes 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 you seem very eager to change the subject and it's just like yeah. he's so good. Yeah. And, and at this point, we don't know yet if Iridian is going to use this information to just get more proof for Gaius's guilt, or if he's looking to condemn someone else. Maybe we don't know yet. Maybe he's already thinking about both options, but we don't know yet. But we definitely know. Oh shit! Is about to hit the fan. Oh yeah, big time. Um, 
Well, I mean, let's just, you know, yeah. let's just get to shit hitting the fan because the one I've put is the one where Morgana has a scene because she does. <laughs> yes. And can I just please discuss the fact that Morgana is sitting there waiting for a radio, which I'm sure was also part of his plan to hype her up, right? He walks in with some chain yes. concoction yes. and just starts arranging it in some fashion behind her head and Katie and you know I don't normally you know die over Katie's acting because it, it it ain't that great but in this scene she looks petri like her face where she's like what the ever living fuck is that yes, <laughs> absolutely and exactly. I and I like I think uh guys you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on this but I think I remember Katie saying that a lot of that is her genuine reaction to Charles Dance, who probably was doing a bit of improv, a bit of kind of like some off the rail stuff, and maybe she didn't even know what he, what, like what he was going to be like in the scene. And a lot of that, I think, is her genuine terror of him, like in this scene. I don't think that's Morgana. I think that's Katie looking really uncomfortable around him, which is brilliant. And the fact that Iridian just does this as well. He just casually starts arranging. Oh, oh, oh! I'm uh, sorry. I'm just gonna put this here, and yeah, and then I'll sit down, and we'll get to it. And the fact how different he is with Morgana than he is with Merlin. Like I saw the difference straight away with with, with like Merlin. He was kind of casual with Morgana. He kind of plays like the like silly old uncle. He's like doing the thing where he's like, oh, just I'll just uh, can you speak up? <laughs> like you know, like he's a bit kind yeah. of clumsy. Like he's making notes that he clearly isn't reading just because he wants to make it. Like he doesn't write anything. That he logs it all in his head. He's not taking any notes. And everything she says is useless. He's not listening to her at all. All he's doing is reading her body language and I'm just like we are not worthy. <laughs> Like, we're not worthy of your methods. They are too good. They really are fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think he does... He does kind of... Uh, listen. Um, I'm trying to remember what it is said that... Like... She is... She is very relieved... When he doesn't outright accuse her of using magic... And just asks her a question... And that seems to be all. And then she's absolutely relieved that she's that she's allowed to leave. And I forgot what, what it was that he initially asked her, just probably, is it true that Gaius treated you? Um Yeah, he treated you. And then, then she gets up and is about to, to leave. And he's like, oh, by the way, what did he treat you for? No, no, he asks, um, uh, he treated you for nightmares. Is that correct? And then she says, yes. And he goes, you may go. And then he goes, oh, you don't happen to remember what was in these oh, right. potions. And she yeah. says, oh, no. And then he says, oh, of course not. You know, you, you, you're not a physician. So they could, for all you know, be some kind of magical trance medicine. And she says, well, no, because I had the dreams before he was treating me. And of course, unfortunately, fate would have it that she's just started going through magical puberty. And so her dreams have been getting worse anyway. And he's yeah. like, did they get worse or better since he started treating you? Now, I will say that he kind of did like score a, uh, a chance ball here because it's like he, he couldn't have known that. No, but what I also think is that when she, that, that's right. Thank you for for reminding me of the dialogue. Is when she says, "Oh no, that could be couldn't be the case because I was having them before he started treating me." And I feel like I might have imagined it, but I feel like I see an expression in her face that goes like, 
oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. I think because it's because it implies it, something. It, she she looks like so her facial expression when she says, "Oh, I had them before he started treating me," is sort of like kind of relieved and like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And then when she has to say "worse," she kind of hesitates and goes, "Worse." And then she realizes, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, she okay, realizes but, the implications of that. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, when she says she's had these nightmares before Gaia started treating her, my mind immediately went, oh, Morgana, you should not have said that because that imply, like, that could also lead Iridian to some kind of conclusion about you. Like, I had it in my mind that God, that Iridian would, uh, like, basically. Um, deduced from that that you know she had some kind of hellish visions or something like I'm sure he he would have used that in some way as well if he had that's my thought as well and like he probably like because he was planning on getting Morgana anyway like at this point I think he's like yay three in one yeah exactly exactly because the moment Gaia said that he treated Morgana, the wheels started turning in Iridian's head, and he's like, "Ooh, mm-hmm. I can, I can totally accuse her of something too, because she was under Gaia's influence." Oh god, yeah. Um, yeah. So the one I have next is the one where Gaius is tricked, and um, <laughs> I called it the one with the emotional blackmail. Yeah, essentially it's the same thing, and we have another line in which uh, he asks if. Um, uh, I would rather die of thirst. And, and Iridian goes, good, and die you shall. But not alone, I'm pleased to say. <laughs> and <I'm> just, <laughs> Good, and die you shall. <laughs> and Charles Dance has such a, like, I'm honestly amazed. Like, uh, Charles Dance, when he speaks, like, it almost feels like the earth is vibrating. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, like, mm-hmm. it, like it feels like it's re- reverberating in his chest. And it's so interesting. Like, and it makes him obviously sound so much more formidable just in general. Like, it makes him sound really, really dangerous. But yeah, he's just like, good, and die you shall. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> What what gets me anytime he's like this, like he's being menacing, and then he's just chuckling. He's like honest to God, chuckling. Like no no one actually chuckles, but he does. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> I can't even imitate it. It's just like what you like what you imagine when you hear the word chuckle, Charles Dance does it in this episode so much, usually following a line like like you know and die you shall and then he's just like <laughs> laughing at his own clever joke and i'm just like holy crap <laughs> i and that's that's part of what him what makes him so menacing because he's kind of unpredictable in one moment he's like chuckling at himself like oh look at how funny or how silly i am and then he's just like blackmailing you exactly. with a straight face in this you know kindly uncle voice that he has he's just like oh you shall not die alone because the lady and morgana and merlin clearly need to die too oh, or whatever it is he actually says he says um, um uh merlin and the lady morgana will join you in the flames <laughs> for fuck's sake and it's just he knows that these are the exact pressure points he needs to put on guys mm-hmm. to get him to do what like he finally figured out what to do and what way to torture Gaius 
to get that confession that he's wanted all this time. Yeah, absolutely. He oh, he's just he's he is he is a master. He is an absolute master and he and he takes him up to the council chambers or is it the great hall? Great hall. Great. No, no council, council chambers. chambers. Council chambers. The first one takes place in the great hall. That's why I was getting confused. Yeah. And again, I st- I mean, I I've, I've said all I have to say about this really in my overall thoughts, but for me Without the extra head cannons that we've added onto Uther in this episode, I find this very, very out of character, and it really is upsetting to me. Um, and like, but I mean, putting that aside, I look at Gaius in this scene, and I just really feel for him because he is by the, you know, he doesn't. All right, let me see if I can get my words straight. Gaius is obviously in a position where he's practiced magic before and he knows that magic in itself isn't evil, but he's chosen to remain loyal to Uther because he trusts Uther. He is like, you know, he feels great feelings of loyalty towards Uther for good reason, you know, and Uther has given him the benefit of the doubt and decided to let him remain in Camelot if he changes his ways. And even though he's been complicit in hiding a sorcerer you know i think he probably feels better about it because he knows that merlin is not a threat and he would never do anything to harm the balance or the harmony in camelot and i think even for gaius to be forced to to kneel there and say things that aren't true and to essentially pretend like he's breaking uther's trust as well is like doubly hard because Uther feels like he's being betrayed, but Gaius is betraying Uther when it's not even real. And it's like, on top of that, this is the episode where he essentially, and we all knew it was coming, but he chooses Merlin over Uther because isn't there, you know, a moment when, uh, you know, in Valiant that we always spoke about? Were you going to bring this up? <laughs> no, I wasn't, yeah. but... Uh, I hadn't even thought of that, but thank you for bringing it up because, yeah, at the beginning of the show, like in, it was probably in, it, yeah, it was in Valiant in, where he Valiant, says, "What would you do?" When when Merlin is like um, asking him something like, "Well, what would you do if someone found out I'm a sorcerer?" and Gaius evades the question by saying, "Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that." And now, a year later, we know what Gaius does because now Gaius, you know, Gaius loves Merlin like a son and, or according to some fan fictions, probably something else, but he definitely loves Merlin in some capacity and he's very ready to, well, maybe not very ready, but he's definitely ready to, to put himself in the line of fire for Merlin. Thank you for bringing that up. I had forgotten about that. But I mean, I hadn't remembered the the link to Valiant at like at the time that I watched it. I just kind of remembered it now. But what I did notice is this is the first time that Gaius, you know, I mean, he. I don't want to say he chose Merlin over Uther the day that he took Merlin in because I don't think it's as black and white as that. But he is choosing to let Uther believe knowing that he's probably going to die. He is willing to die letting Uther believe that he betrayed him. And in that way, he is choosing Merlin over Uther because, you know, and that is really sad because 
Uther means a lot to Gaius as well. And fuck you, Iridian, is all I have to say. <laughs> Your one-liners won't save you now. <laughs> Another thing I liked about this scene is after Gaius has already been dragged out of the council chambers again, Merlin is trying to attack Iridian, and Arthur puts himself bodily between them. Holy shit, hold the phone. Okay, so, I mean, can we just, can we just, can we just? This scene has been analyzed on Tumblr many times, and I'm here for it. Because if you look at Arthur during this scene, he's not looking at Gaius or Iridian. He is fixed on Merlin because he knows him well enough at this point to know that shit is about to hit the fan. And I think he's probably also concerned, you know, for his uh, emotional and mental well-being, but he's also just like I I I need to you know keep my like keep myself on edge in case something happens. The second Merlin moves, he's up. He is up and I'm just like you know Ah, it's so annoying to me that Arthur flip-flops like this because there are times when he is so damn perceptive and so in tune with what Merlin is thinking and feeling. And then there are times when he treats him as if he's like, as if he doesn't know him at all. And I'm just like, this is, this is what for me their relationship really is about. What, like, when you come down to it, it's the fact that he, like, he does know him. And it's like, he, he immediately throws himself at him. And carries him out like a koala. <laughs> Merlin's just clear, but the, I mean, Merlin is you know pretty uh, complacent to just kind of hang there. He's probably like, oh, I'm getting that hug finally. <laughs> <Even> <laughs> thing, Arthur, you know, Merlin is taller than him, and you know, Arthur is maybe a bigger person in terms of like mass, but he m- drags him. <laughs> I love who. I don't know who calls for the guards if it's Iridium, but the guards just don't move. They're like, oh, Arthur will deal with it. <laughs> I mean, Arthur says to I'll the guards, deal I'll deal with it. And then just like, as as you see them walking out, he hikes Merlin up onto his like shoulders yeah. a bit and Merlin's like, <laughs> koala. Merlin koala is this, like literally what I've called that gif like since day one. And that gif is very, like this entire scene is very, very important to Merthyr shippers. And like lead it, because it kind of leads straight into the fact, the fact that he lets him swing for him, like that he allows it. I'm just like, that would, I mean, he has grown so much and i mean obviously it's a nice little mirror to um when they first meet and merlin does the same thing and arthur does the same move where he just pins his arm behind his back he's like you're like i'm like the the fact that merlin thought that arthur wouldn't be quick enough to get that like the second time but yeah the fact that like merlin just outright goes to punch him like the like the prince of camelot i'm like wow he he really is upset and arthur being uh, I think I've called it soft Arthur. Like he's just like, I know you're upset. I know you're angry. It's all right. And I'm just like, our boy is growing up. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you not feel how soft Arthur is in this moment? Oh he's no, I so definitely soft. feel that. And then he's Merlin is like, then what are you going to do? And Arthur's like, I'm going to break the law. And he lets Merlin see Gaius so they can finally talk to each other and also say goodbye because that's essentially what Arthur is letting Merlin do is say goodbye to his father figure. I know. So then they they say goodbye and they finally figure out that Evradian is conning everyone. 
I don't know how, like I said, this this to me is bullshit. The fact that they both had to kind of confirm with the other that it wasn't theirs. Like, why would you... Th- uh- <laughs> Like, 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 okay, Aridian conning Uther, like, fine, he's in love with the guy. But it's like Merlin and Gaius not realizing that the amulet was clearly planted. Like, both of them, like, Gaius thinking it was Merlin's and Merlin thinking it was Gaius's. Really? I don't buy it. Again, I'm, you know, headcanon central, but they were probably thinking it was. I mean, how Gaius thought that Merlin would have such a valuable item is beyond me. But Merlin might have just thought it was a trinket of Gaius's past or something. Like, Merlin believing that Gaius actually owned this bracelet is more believable to me than Gaius believing that it was Merlin's. Yeah. Like, where would Merlin have gotten it? Like, genuinely, where would Merlin have received this bracelet? Yeah, but Gaius seems capacity. pretty convinced. Like he's sh- like he seems really shocked when Merlin is like, "It's not mine." And I'm just like, like, and like when I first watched the episode, I thought everybody was on the same page. Like not not Uther because he's never on the same page as anyone. But like I- <laughs> <laughs> Uther isn't even in the same. The, the, the only book Uther is a part of is sorcery. That's it. He doesn't. He doesn't see anything else. But I figured that as soon as everyone f- knew about the amulet, Merlin and Gaius knew that it was f- a fake out. Like, it, it's it's clearly like I'm not a very smart person when it comes to this kind of stuff. Okay, so to be fair, Merlin never saw this thing. That's Merlin true. Only ev- Merlin only ever heard about it. Merlin has never even seen it. Gaius, out of the two of them, Gaius is the only one who's ever seen it. That's true. Merlin never saw it. But how Gaius could believe that Merlin would own such a thing is, like, that's the part that's really hard for me to believe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, uh, they... Okay, like, serious talk about this scene because, like you said, this is essentially a goodbye. And for me, Gaius is such a dad in this scene like such a father figure in the way that, you know, Merlin is still being that naive kid. And Gaius, like you said, absolutely knew from the beginning that this was the end for him. Like as soon as he made the decision in his chambers to say, that's my amulet, he knew that like this, like that he wasn't getting out of this one. The audience knows he will, but he didn't know that. And so he's kind of been preparing for this and Merlin in his naive way now that he realizes it's a fake out still thinks that there's a chance and i'm just like i love that gaius and his wisdom has to be the one to say no you have to let me die because if you get involved you're gonna die anyway like there's nothing you can say that will save me now and that kind of statement is something that really only comes with like age and experience and it's so heartbreaking to watch it's really tough. Oh, Merlin. <laughs> poor, 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 poor boy. Um, the one with Sassy Gaius is what I've called the next one. Um, which Really? I, I call it the one where Gaius realizes everything was for nothing. Yeah, but like Iridian walks into his cell saying, Well, Gaius, I hope you found some relief now that your ordeal is over. And Gaius, I think, has now managed to live up to Iridian's level because he's basically just sitting there looking grumpy as fuck and going, your concern is touching, Iridian. 
Now, would you please get out of my sight? <laughs> because he's thinking, if I've got a few precious moments left on this earth, I'd like to spend them without looking at you. <laughs> that would be yeah. very nice. But you're right. This sucks for Gaius. Yeah, because the next thing Iridian says is, oh, I thought you might like to hear the news. Uh, and then Gaius is like, oh, like you can tell Gaius is like, oh, shit, what now? And then, you know, Aradian comes out with his, like, oh, well, the investigation has begun. And guys is like, no, but you just, you just got my confess confession. The investigation is clearly over. And Aradian, you know, chuckling, gleeful, happy con man that he is goes like, oh, no, I mean the investigation into Morgana and Merlin. And guys is just like regretting everything because he's like, no, we had a bargain. And then Redding goes like, oh, I don't bargain with sorcerers. Yeah. <laughs> like he actually, that's, that's one of the moments where he actually chuckles. The subtitles say chuckle. Like there's even, there's a subtitle for how he chuckles. So then the next one is the one where Merlin decides to fucking do something. Oh, I, what, what have I called the next one? Oh, I, Oh, uh, well, I I just put, put the little interim scene of the one out of a horror movie because it's like um, uh, Iridian showing up behind Morgana. Like, the fact that he manages oh, yeah. to get into her chambers at all. Like, yeah. how does Uther, how? like, how does Uther let it get this far? This is what I want to know. Yeah. Like, do you think Iridian tells Uther that he's just going to, like, outright, go like, how does he get away with questioning Morgana without the king's permission? Like, yeah, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't get it. And, like, Morgana. I'm sure he had the king's permission. Really? He probably had the king's permission. He was like, I need to question Morgana about something that Gaius has said. Maybe. And Uther was like. Sure, go right the fuck ahead. Well, I mean, okay, the fair enough, but just um, be nice to her, probably. Just you know, don't terrify her or something. Oh god, only menace her a little bit. No torturing the ward. <laughs> no torturing the ward. <laughs> oh god. Um, but yeah, the next scene I've put is the one with some Merwin, and you've called it the one where Merlin does something. Yeah. Yeah, but also I like my note is Merwin watch everyone. Gwen comes to Merlin first when something's wrong with Morgana. So Yeah, for sure. Um this is where I start to kind of get annoyed though, because she says uh something along the lines of Iridian's questioning Morgana again. I'm worried about her as she's close to breaking point. And like yeah. Gwen, how have you not figured it out yet? How? Yeah, and like what does Gwen think Morgana is about to reveal? Like, what does she think is like? <laughs> like, the, yeah, because Merlin knows that Morgana is guilty, inverted commas. But Gwen has no reason to run to Merlin, apart from the fact that Iridian, I guess, is creepy. But, like, I, the fact that she's just witnessed Morgana being suspicious AF and uh, suspiciously lighting candles and uh, fires happening in Morgana's room and Morgana disappearing for a bit and happen happening to be found with the druids and now Morgana being questioned by Iridian and Morgana being very worried about it. Like, there's more evidence for Morgana being a sorceress now than there was, like, when Gwen actually figured out something was wrong. Like, I know that, like, she saw her doing magic, but, like, in the actual timeline of the episode where Queen of Hearts comes first, like, she 
like only like she sees Morgana smirk and she's like she's evil and like there's more evidence here for Morgana being suspicious than there was in that scene so I'm just like the Merlin writers want to make Gwen smart when it suits them and then when it doesn't she's like oh Merlin Morgana's really scared what should we do about it (laughs) so the one that follows that is the one where Merlin is the worst spy in the world (laughs) because he messes up the bed and then doesn't fix it right away he leaves the cupboard door open even though he had to magically unlock it he leaves the table not ex- I mean I know Iridian doesn't pick up on that but Merlin like moves things around on Iridian's table like his desk and I'm just like Merlin please that's a rookie move honestly had he been hiding badly behind that curtain I really wouldn't have even been surprised at this point <laughs> but I'm guessing that you know he either it was luck or he deliberately made the curtain look that way to draw Iridian's attention to that rather than you know giving Iridian the idea to look under the bed I don't know. I don't want to give Merlin that much credit in that moment because he's been fucking stupid already. I mean, I have no notes for this scene because, in my opinion, it has no place in the episode. <laughs> like, this and the yeah. scene, like, where Merlin has to plant extra evidence for me is, in my honest opinion, is proof that they were very stretched for ideas of, on how to end this thing. Because like this is a, this is another yeah, episode mean, of Merlin sneaking around someone's room. At this point, it's just becoming a drinking game, and it's boring. Like I actually managed to press the Netflix ten second skip button about like five or six times, like just to get past it because I was like, there is nothing I want to talk about here. Like he's just sneaking around looking for shit. What? Yeah, I mean, the only reason we have that scene is because Merlin needs to find these leaves like these petals uh the, the flower petals that's the that's the only reason we have this scene because Mona needs to find the flower petals the planting evidence scene we didn't need in that much detail or at all Merlin could have done it on the fly or could have just you know he could have run out and then come back to Gwen later and tell her that it's taken care of and that would have been fine um, he could have even probably maybe done it on the spot while they were confronting Iridium, but I guess he wanted the security to know that they would definitely find something in Iridium's room. But yeah, so the next scene I have, I mean, it's Detective Gwen, but I still call it the one with the stereotyping. I put the one with Detective Gwen. Um, but I, I mean, to be honest with you, I quite like it because it, because it's logical, like her kind of interpretation of what, of what, I mean, it's, well, no, because she says, Merlin says, what's the one thing that they have in common? And she says, they were all women. And he goes, oh, that doesn't tell us anything. And like, for me, it's sort of like, it, A, it, A, it makes me laugh because he like had that moment in Mark of Nimue where, where guys was like, what's special about this victim? And he's like, she's a woman. <laughs> and like, it was kind of, so like here he's, he's learning sort of, except in this case, it was actually relevant. And like, I feel as though 
Because wasn't the whole point of like, oh, he would never have given it to them directly. And so like, I think the idea was that they, he must be selling it somehow. And so Gwen was kind of putting the pieces together being like, well, yeah, like what is the one thing only women would buy? And then it like, you know, maybe, maybe it was a long shot, but it, it kind of ended up being like a logical leap. I actually kind of liked it. I thought, I thought it was really smart, but that's just me. Yeah. I want to know how historically accurate it is that women in the middle ages would buy eye drops to make their eyes look more beautiful. I would um, like to do some research on that for sure. Go do it. Um, anyway, what what I find curious is that they look through these books to find to find out what what flower these petals are from. And like, if you look at the books that they're that uh, especially the one that Merlin is like leafing through. Like every flower, every plant in that book has a full schematic sketch of the entire plant. But the moment we get to the Belladonna page, it's literally just the petal. It's not the entire plant. It's literally just a petal. It's an exact replica of one of the petals he holds in his hands. And I'm just like, <sighs> yes, it needed to be <laughs> obvious. <laughs> What I find really interesting about this, the way that they wrote it, and like they they did kind of drop the ball a bit because essentially what happens is they realize that Belladonna induces hallucinations. Merlin figures out that the witnesses were seeing things that weren't real. Then they try and figure out what might bind them that they would all get the Belladonna from the same place. And then Gwen comes up with the idea, what's the one thing only women would buy? Things to make them look beautiful. And because we're talking about hallucinations and seeing things, I was led to believe that she thought, like maybe she'd bought eye drops for herself and she already had eye drops in her mind because she made the connection between seeing women pretty things and eye drops and eyes. And then they went to that dude. And then when they show up, she just goes, eye drops. As like as if she like didn't actually have anything in mind. She yeah. just went to the to the beauty store. Like she just went yeah, to the drugstore. She, she she did. She basically sent, went to Superdrug. Yeah, but like to me, it was implied that she already had the idea in her head that it could be eye drops because, like, no. otherwise you're right. See, it is I, kind of like what else could it be? Like what? Like what else would only women? Like why would it I, only then be women? I thought it could, like, to me, it was, like, maybe some kind of face cream that then would, you know, get into right. the pore, like, into your circulation through the pores in your skin, and that would get you high in some way and, and cause the hallucination. I wasn't necessarily, like, when I watched this, I wasn't necessarily, because I had forgotten I was supposed to be eye drops at the end. Um, I thought it was supposed to be a face cream or something that they put on to make their their skin look nicer or whatever yeah and when they're when they're going to see the um to, to see the drugstore guy gwen is is it keeps being very clever because because she knows from personal experience that uther won't let this go without concrete proof that you know guys is innocent that iridian has been manipulating all of them and and Uther needs the kind of proof that cannot be explained any other way. Because if we know anything about Uther, it's that he believes what he likes and he will only admit something else if there's no way around it. And Gwen knows this as well. 
And so she makes sure that this uh, that this apothecary admits to having, you know, tempered, like having sold this and that he received this from Aradian. Yeah, that's true. That is true. They go to the apothecary and they're like, if you don't do this, then an innocent person is going to die. And so he tells them the truth. And obviously I think it's implied because they don't say it explicitly, but then he's later brought in front of the king. And so it's implied that he will testify again, like for this. And then Merlin's like, right, we've got the book and we've got the flowers and we've got his confession. And Gwen is like, no, that's not enough. We need more. And in my head, I'm like, why? Like, you don't need more than that. Yeah, because they've come back from uh, from the apothecary at this point. And it was just to, like, pad out the episode runtime, yeah. I suppose. I, mean, I can make an argument for for Uther just... Because we, we've seen Uther just believe anything that Aurelian has been telling him. Like, literally anything. So if if they had had all of this, Aurelian would have would have come back and said that, you know... The, the apothecary is lying maybe he's a sorcerer and the that merlin and gwen were just delusional and trying to to con uther into letting gaius go even though gaius already confessed i can i can see why you know gwen was like no we need more more to really make uther see that that Aredian is the is the bad guy yeah, exactly. So. Um, so we've got this, um, I mean, we've kind of jumped around a bit, so I'm not really exactly sure where we are, but what I, oh, oh by the way, I just wanted to quickly touch on, because the scene with the apothecary, I called the one with the innuendo, because I fucking love the fact that, like, for the adults in the room, he was like, what you want with eye drops in the middle of the night, I really don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Gwen, Merlin, you are really, <laughs> listen, uh, someone write me that fic. But anyway. Um, and, uh, so the one with the morning yes, and guy is sitting in the cell and the, and the light coming in and him being like this, that that's it. Oh God. It's, yeah. I call it the one at dawn. It's basically mm. my, I have the same note. It's just, you see this dawn for several different people, but it starts and ends with, with God. No, no, it actually ends with Iridian, but it starts with Gaius in his cell, the sun, shine coming in birds starting to sing and then it cuts to i believe um it cuts to gwen and it cuts to i think it cuts to someone else but i forgot who and then it cuts to iridian putting his uh his coat on and leaving and finding guys in his cell and it's just yeah. so beautiful it's it's really it's... well done i really like this these little yeah. few seconds here it's really beautiful. I also love the fact that when Iridian's getting ready, we have the hint of him having the frog in his throat. Yeah. Because he starts coughing, but we don't know yeah. what it is yet, obviously. Like, we yeah. like we have no idea. And yeah. that, you know, that's just Merlin being cheeky. That's yeah. just Merlin being Merlin. And, I, like, I know that this is later when the frog comes up, but I love that it's also, A, it's a reminder of the witnesses saying that they saw a sorcerer with a frog coming out of his throat, but it's also the literal saying, you have a frog in your throat. Yeah. And it's it's really funny. <laughs> it's like this is literally why Merlin is my favorite character because he's just such a he's just so he's just so extra. It's just <laughs> like you have a frog in your throat, you should cough it up. You know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. just like Merlin, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
the one with the almost execution. This scene is so good. This scene is so well good. I mean, yes, but where the fuck is this dungeon that Iridian needs a cart and horse to get Gaius into the courtyard? This is purely for the drama of it. Like he he brings him in in his cage on his cart personally, and I'm just like. Listen, he could have just walked. It would have been quicker. Yeah, that's true. I think what I will say, right, okay. I think that Gwen going up to Arthur to try and count on his, like, humanity, it's very risky because at this point, Arthur and Gwen aren't really on speaking terms. Like, they are, but there's a lot of awkwardness between them. And if I were Gwen, I would not count on Arthur listening to me over Merlin at this point in time, is all I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that Gwen, like, you know, this is just the writers obviously wanting us to see Gwen as an important figure in Arthur's life. And I get why it's important for the plot, like, for their relationship. I just think that where it is in the series, like, <laughs> I, have, they- I have mixed feelings about this because on the one hand, I kind of like that she goes to him and basically tries to induce guilt over what happened to her father even though Arthur couldn't really do anything about that I put like he didn't do anything he didn't do anything but she uses that as leverage to get him to do the right thing now and I sort of can see why she thinks that's a good idea I mean it does work probably what I really don't understand is why she feels the need to emphasize that she's a servant and he's a prince like that line just makes no sense in this moment it's just her pointing out that she's you know that he doesn't that that he shouldn't be listening to her that he doesn't have to listen to her like why would she do that in that moment when she clearly does want him to listen to her and honestly that was the moment like that was the final straw for me where I was like, whoever wrote this script really isn't very great at writing because it's like putting unnecessary lines in for the sake of having them in there and for like yeah. unnecessary setups that aren't required in this episode at all, which reads like really not well done fan fiction. And it's just, why would you, why would you put me through this? Yeah, it's it's not great. And like I think as well at this point in the series, I don't think that Gwen has enough sway for me with Arthur to warrant lines like leave Arthur to me. It's like, girl, you're not his wife yet. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It kind of it, it it just rubs me up the wrong way because it's the beginning of the kind of self-important side of Gwen, which we get a lot more of in seasons three and four, which I just don't really like. This kind of side, which is like, well, I'm owed Arthur. Like, it's it's sort of like, well, I uh, I'm owed um, Arthur's feelings and his affections, but I'm pretending like, uh, like, you know, I can't really have them. It's part of the reason why I find their relationship a little bit frustrating is just because it's, it's that sort of like, well, we can never be, but actually you should 
treat me like I'm really important and I'm your wife at the same time. It's just choose one or the other is all I'm saying that like, yeah, I don't know. I think that it would have been more meaningful for me had it come from Merlin because this is Merlin's father figure and it would have been Arthur actually like following through of his protectiveness of Merlin earlier on in the episode and also doing something good for Gaius. Like, you know, this is Merlin's, like this is Merlin's moment. Like this is his father figure. It has nothing to do with Gwen. So it's just very strange to me that she got this moment. And the only way that it's made valid is because she brings it back to her own father. Yeah. Exactly. It's a bit, yeah. And yeah. Merlin just stands there and lets it. Like, I don't buy that Merlin would just stand there and let this happen. Like, he'd be there. They'd both go at the same time. That's like, yeah, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. Um, but I love this scene. Um, I love the fact that Arthur says to Iridian, show some respect. How yeah. he's like, he's an old man, like, show some respect. It's, oh, and also, I, okay, I, I will say, but when Gwen's trying to get to Arthur, she's being really cute because she's going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. It's <laughs> like, you're trying to save someone's life. Just shove past them, honestly. Um, and, um, yeah, I honestly actually find this scene quite scary because I'm like, I have like a thing with fire. Like I find like this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, this is not the first time I've said it on the podcast, but I find anything to do with like burning, like highly triggering. So uh, even watching Gaius get like tied to the stake for me, whenever I see it, I'm like, I'm very surprised that they let this air for kids. But I feel like, I don't know, there's something about seeing him get tied to the pyre and seeing them nearly light the pyre. And I'm like, this is really like making me super antsy. I don't like it. And the fact that like Arthur just calls it out at the very last minute, I'm like, oh God. Um, But yeah, Gaius is saved. Thank God for that. Um, And we have the one with the accusation where Merlin presents his evidence and is very sassy about it, I have to say. I approve. Because, of course, Charles Dance, I mean Iridian, is, you know, <laughs> they're absurd. The boys clearly concocted these lies in an attempt to save his master. And Merlin just outright is like, then you won't mind if we search your chambers. And I'm just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't Uther go, silence, you have no authority here. Yeah, Uther is being very snarly and angry about the whole thing. He's lashing out. And... Yeah, but like like I said, he just came off of a few weeks of being manipulated by a troll, so clearly he can't stand the thought of having been conned yet again. Because like at this point that he was conned by Katrina or by the troll. Then he thinks that Gaius has been betraying him for twenty years. And now it turns out that it might not have been Gaius, but Eredian who has been manipulating him. And it's just like this man cannot. No, the bad boy with the motorcycle was the bad guy all along. It's just he just he just cannot catch a break. Like also, I just realized the motorcycle equivalent in this is just you know the the cart with the mobile cat du- with the mobile dungeon with the sex dungeon. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, that that totally checks out. But like Uther is just Uther is just done. Uther is just so over it he is ready for it to be to be done and to you know he's just he's he's just so angry and unhappy 
with everyone, but especially himself right now. And what I love about this, and I know this is kind of like, I'm not trying to skip to, uh, uh, to the end, but the fact that Uther actually ends the episode still being um hoodwinked because he is he he believes that iridium was a sorcerer because that's what they make him believe so he yeah. still doesn't know the truth yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of i feel for my boy is what i'm saying uh i mean i feel for everyone but iridium um but i yeah. do feel for uther particularly um especially based on our extensive headcanon that we've concocted yeah. to do with katrina I- um I like that Arthur is keeping a level head and backing up Merlin in this and just being like, you know, what's the harm in checking what's the harm in checking the his rooms? You know, if he did it to guys, why shouldn't we do it or he did it to Merlin and guys, why shouldn't we do it to him? If he has nothing to fear, um, then then everything will be fine. And you know, I in the background, there is Gwen just looking immensely pleased with herself and the entire situation. And yeah. again, I ask, why is no one else picking up on body language and facial expressions except for possibly Iridian? Like, how is no one else seeing Gwen smirking to herself? Or Merlin smirking to himself? I mean, I suppose they can't. I could see why no one would think weirdly of that because Merlin is just like... like the entire point was that Merlin would get his way, but still, it's just... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then we have the one with the with the search. And my first question is, what is Morgana doing there? <laughs> I never thought about that. What is, what is the... Like, she... I don't think she was in the hall or the council chambers when Merlin accused Iridian. But she is there as they're searching Iridian's room. And I I mean The plot I, must advance somehow. I know why Morgana is there because she's gonna be a plot device in a second, but yeah. I like that Arthur is making a point of making it as messy as Iridian made the search of Gaius's workroom. That's it's just- sort of but I kind what I like is that Arthur is literally being the least helpful Ever. He's just like, uh, that cabinet over there. He's literally just delicating. <laughs> it's so funny. And he's loving it. Like, if he could have a job, full-time job, it would just be delegation. I mean, that's like, he loved- that is his job as the prince. Yeah, but no, he's meant to do stuff. Like, if he could get other people to do the responsible stuff, he would. Oh, you know it. Yeah. He's brilliant. Um, But yeah, just the end, they find all of the... I mean, oh, also, obviously, uh, Charles Dance, I mean Iridian, uh, is uh, standing there going... You're wasting your time. <laughs> yeah. Except <laughs> then si- they find the fucking bracelets. I mean, look, I'm not being funny, but I feel like Merlin might have overdone it a little bit because even to me, that looks like it's not real. Because, yeah. like, it's, but everyone, like, I think you're right that not only are we done with the episode at this point, but Uther is done with the episode at this point. <laughs> He's very happy for the episode to yeah. be over and for him to just catch someone, anyone. <laughs> and really so, uh, who does get caught is actually Morgana. Oh, Uther okay. is immediately, like, this, what I love, like, again, we know that Anthony is just a master at switching things up and he just goes, Iridian. Think very carefully about what you're doing. 
And I'm just like, immediately, I'm like... That's what I'm saying. "Ah." Don't torture the ward. You went too far. (laughs) God (laughs) fucking damn it. (laughs) But okay. I will believe that Morgana is terrified the entire episode of being found out for having magic. But now that Iridian is discredited and she is safe, you know... She wouldn't just let him grab her and threaten her like that. The Morgana that I know would drive her elbow into his guts and then knee him in the balls for good measure. I mean, to be fair, she's never had a knife against her throat that we've seen so far. Like, all the times that we've seen her fight back, she's been in a relatively okay position of power. Like, she's not active. Like, I don't think anyone... Like, I think this this th- this might be a bit of a like concoction of the fictional imagination because if you've got a knife up to your throat i don't think you move at all you don't risk getting cut like that's just my interpretation anyway honestly i would think that she trained with uh, with Arthur for this exact kind of situation where someone would try to threaten her life like that and she would be like i'm not going to have that happen to me if someone threatens me with a knife to my throat i want to be ready but that's Again, that's my personal headcanon, and I just yeah, that's true, that's um, true, that's true. But yeah, but then- I can I can see why it would bother you. I think it's such a small part of the episode that I just kind of go, yeah. I will pick my hills to die on, and yeah. the hill I'll die on is not this one. No, that's fair. Um, so uh, so then we Roman have Iridian. A- yeah, can look for fuck's sake. <laughs> He's- he just. Like, okay, I take it back. I don't feel sorry for Merlin because he's a fucking idiot. He's whispering magic spells right under the king's nose when he's just caused a big problem for Gaius. Oh, my God. And And then the sword hilt grows hot. And I'm just like, why does no one find that suspicious? Like, even if they thought... It was because of magic. Why would Iridian use magic against himself in that moment? I'm just like, what is going on? Why? I don't know. How has Merlin not, like, how did this episode not end with Merlin burning at the stake? This is what I want. Like, how how does every episode of Merlin not end with Merlin burning at the stake? (laughs) Because he's just... Honestly, the only thing I was paying attention to in this scene is that Anthony is actually looking very attractive to me in this scene, and that doesn't normally happen. <laughs> but he's wearing a very nice outfit, and he's very dangerous, and I, I'm, I'm 100% here for it. Um, but yeah. that just might be because Uther has been a little bit wet in this episode for me. He's just kind of been like, oh, I don't really know what's going on. He's been very beta, and I'm just like over it. And now in this scene, he's like, right. King is back, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And so Iridian, this... oh, sorry, yeah, go for it. Yeah, no. Then we have this, <sighs> this moment, Disney Everything. death. It's the, it's just uh, the sc- the green screen on Iridian falling down. It's just so terrible. It's so bad. It just looks visually. It just looks so bad. And it's the dumbest way to kill him off as well. Yes. Like, the dumbest way to kill him off. I'm. Do you know how much it, stained glass windows cost? 
<sighs> and he destroyed a big one. It was big enough for him to fall through. Well, Uther can take it out of his fee. <laughs> there you so. go. There's just one more thing about this. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's sort of the transition of the scenes, but then we have this wide shot of Camelot in in the sun, and you hear right. you hear a frog croaking. That is brilliant. <laughs> I have never noticed that before. It's amazing. You have like the last shot of the previous scene is like Uther and Arthur looking out the window and looking like kind of disgusted because they have now that like, they need to, to delegate someone to clean up a radiant puree off the cobblestones. And then you have this wide shot of Camelot and you just hear a frog croaking <laughs> somewhere. Iconic. It's amazing. Oh, God. Um, and then we so have the, the next one, scene. Then I, so I've called this the one with the husbands. And this scene almost makes everything bad about this episode worth it. Because I just feel as though this scene was so needed and i feel like this is why i can be so kind to this episode like even when i find it a bit ridiculous plot wise because i think that gaius needed this wake-up call you know he really needed to realize that uther might not actually be the man that he thinks he is and that he's defended all this time and that gaius is not safe necessarily and it sounds obviously very selfish but i think it took him realizing that he's not even safe to realize that yeah it's really the straw that broke the camel's back because this is the second time that uther has gone against guys the first time which not quite as drastic but was in i'm sorry to mention it no, I just do it. <laughs> you will never be free of this episode. I'm sorry. That should be on the bingo. <laughs> I was going to put it on, but I thought we were past it and that we would, no one would ever click it. <laughs> I was this close. I thought, no, we're never going to go back to Remedy. Well, fuck it. <laughs> so, um, anyway, um, so, and now this has happened, and Gaius, throughout this whole ordeal, Gaius earned some perspective and has absolutely no more fucks to give now. And, like, my final note for this scene is this one really hurt, but it's like, first of all, Uther gives a terrible apology. If your apology has the words, I'm sorry if I in them it's not an apology that's an apology is i'm sorry that i or for having caused you that's an apology your if your apology contains the qualifier if it's not an apology because it puts the blame at the other person's feet Mm -hmm. like you're just like if you weren't offended, then I don't have any reason to be sorry for, and therefore I'm not actually sorry. I'm only acting yeah. like I'm sorry in case you were offended. So for exactly. Uther to say, I'm sorry if uh, you were harmed, or if, I forgot what it was he actually said, but the moment he said, if I was like, nope, that's not how apologizing works. I mean, it's big big <laughs> it's it's great that he's apologizing at all in some capacity because it's dearly needed but Gaius calls him out on it he tells him 
and I, I, I cannot believe I heard this with my own ears and watched this with my own eyes because I cheered for Gaius. Gaius is like, no, this is not good enough. An apology. You see foe where there are friends. You see magic where there is none. You just, you are blinded by your own fear and your own bigotry, which is not exactly what he said, but what he meant. And you need to fucking stop because you will kill everyone who is dear to you just because you imagine threats when there are none. And I'm so here for it. Also, they clearly need couples counseling. They do. I mean, this scene means so much to me as an Uther fan and as an Uther and Gaius fan because... I mean, first of all, Gaius being sassy to the end because Uther walks in and he says, I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you here or something like that. And Gaius says, as am I, my lord. I thought I would never see these chambers again. Yes. And I'm just like, yes, Gaius. Um, and then Uther Uth- going, oh, yeah. I, if there's anything that needs replacing. Damage. I- yeah, and this is what I wanted to touch upon because Uther is not very good at being direct when it comes to feelings and anything emotional. And the fact that he's skirting around the issue so much and he's kind of walking about and he's saying, if anything was damaged in the search, I will replace it. And guys, just, and he tolerates it for a while. He's like, that's very kind of you. And again, Uther's skirting around the subject and he goes, Iridian, I can scarcely believe that he was a sorcerer. Uh, and I think what's really interesting, what Gaius is doing is he's not saying anything because he's giving Uther the opportunity to come to it himself. Like, cause he knows what Uther came here for and he knows that Uther's not giving him what he wants, which is as an apology. And he's just waiting it out. And then Uther says, um, I'm very sorry if he suffered, uh, if you suffered at his hands. What, yeah. And Uther says, no, but Gaius. I did not, su- Gaius. sorry, uh, Gaius says, but I did not suffer at his hands, Uther. I suffered at yours. And that is so gut-wrenching. It's so powerful, but it also hurts so much because you know how much it must have cost Gaius to say that, and obviously it's also very true. Uh, And Uther says, but I was deceived. And that's when what you said, Gaius says, no, you were deceived long before Iridium because you deceive yourself. And then what he says that really punches me really is that I am not the first to be wrongly accused in your war against sorcery and not all have been as lucky as I. Yes. And I'm just like, that to me sounds like a story I really want to know. Just the fact that Gaius not only you know, was complicit clearly in the deaths of these innocent sorcerers, but supported Uther throughout it. And for Gaius at this age, bear in mind at this age, you know, I I can't imagine having lived that many years and having seen the things that he's seen because I'm only 26. And so I'm thinking about how he must, you know, basically think that he doesn't have anything left to learn in this life, you know, because he's seen it all. And for him to have his impression of Uther change so much, to the point where things that he was willing to support him in, now he feels like he's on the other side. And it's really a powerful scene. I don't think he ever actually is against Uther. I just think that he is n- he's no longer complicit anymore. And I think that's why Uther and uh, Merlin's... 
Gaius and Merlin's relationship is so special to the show because Merlin really changes Gaius for the better, like when he doesn't even realize that he's doing it. And I think that's really powerful. And without Merlin, Gaius, I don't think Gaius would ever have had the courage to say the things that he said to Uther if it wasn't for Merlin. No, absolutely. To be fair, if it weren't for Merlin, like... (laughs) No, yeah, I wasn't true. even thinking of Merlin doing the smoke thing, but like, let's let's say something else had brought Iridian to Camelot to, you know, accuse Gaius. If it hadn't been for Merlin, Gaius wouldn't be standing there anymore because it was Merlin who, who wouldn't let go. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that the scene ends, like, because Uther, by the way, does, of course, he doesn't have a comeback to to anything. He just no. stands there in silence. All he's, oh no, sorry, he says. I can assure you that all measures will be taken to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. And Gaia says, I hope that's true for all of our sakes. And then he turns his back on, on Uther, Uther yes. and lets pointed. him walk away. Very point. No, he, I think he says, is there anything else? I think, I think he, he prompts him. Like, I've got work to do or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. Basically like either get out or you can leave now. Yeah. yeah. Which is to dismiss the king. Like, right only Gaius man I just I had chills watching that scene it was amazing it made you a Gaius fan again didn't it (laughs) (laughs) I mean again I never was a Gaius fan I mean you never disliked him that much before Melissa and then all of a sudden it was downhill from there (laughs) it was like I already didn't like him before Melissa Melissa only made it worse yeah fair enough Um, but this scene is so important Honestly, it should have ended on that episode. Should have ended yeah. on that scene, even though oh. I like this last little piece of fluff. It would have mm. been more powerful if we didn't see Merlin do all of these things. Like yeah. if if they had used that scene instead of what making us watch Merlin put the evidence in in Iridian's room, you know then that yeah. would have worked. But now we've already seen Merlin put the evidence in Iridian's room. And yeah. Merlin and Gaius already had their reunion earlier, didn't they? Or is this- But we had to have it end with the Merlin and Gaius fluff. Duh. Like, it's not a Merlin episode if the drama isn't undercut by comedy. Yeah. <sighs> it's I, d- I don't like it. No, it's not great. It look the, the only reason I even have this scene written in my notes is because I uh, wanted to point out that Colin's not wearing a scarf, and I'm sorry, I'm only a human being and I'm weak and I will never apologize for it. And I love that Gaius makes an impression of the frog. Yes, that's and I love Merlin's smile. His smile when he's laughing at Gaius is literally just really important to me on a spiritual level because it's basically what joy looks like when you look it up in the dictionary he is a beautiful boy but Gaius's face where you go (laughs) oh god but yeah it's just like really did we like if you'd cut this and the sneaky and all the other kind of sneaky and stupid stuff that they were doing and Merlin plotting the evidence and all that kind of stuff we could have had like a lot more like gritty and interesting stuff in the episode. It like I think it would have improved it for sure. 
I think that this undercuts the drama of the episode, to be quite honest with you. It really does. This, uh, they could have, yeah. you know, they could have switched this. I mean, I li- like I said, I like this scene and I would have liked it more if we didn't have to watch Merlin plant the evidence. If we'd only had this scene that explains that Merlin... Mm, ha- like, that's true. I mean, yeah. We, we yeah. know that Merlin planted the evidence even without watching it. But like having Merlin explain his methods to Gaius, you know, that would have just been a nice tie around like a bow on top exactly. of the whole thing but put it before Uther coming to see Gaius like I really exactly. wish it had ended on this this quiet this silence between Uther and Gaius after Gaius dismissed Uther but that is that's that's the whole episode oh. so I think fairly positive. I mean, I think fairly positive. Like I said, I'm very willing to forgive. Like I'm, ve- I'm not usually very forgiving when it comes to Merlin episodes. I will tell it how it is, but um, I feel like there's so much like ugh, power in that final scene, especially that I'm very willing to just go. You know what? It's fine. And Charles dances Iridian with his with his one liners. As I just, amazing. I, I just, I, I can't. Yeah. So that was um. Amazing. Oh my god, yeah. I can't wait to talk about him for villains of season two. We <laughs> get <laughs> another chance. He might outdo Jonas. Honestly, he might outdo Jonas. And you and listen, you guys know how much Jonas means to me. I wish I was Jonas, to be quite honest with you. Um, cool. I think I think that's the Witchfinder, isn't it? Yes, I think it is. That is it. So in terms of where you guys can find me, if you want to talk to me and see what I'm up to, the places that I'm uh, most active at the moment, although you can find me pretty much anywhere, but I'm on Instagram a lot on my regular account, Miss Snowfox and Miss Snowfox Cosplays. My cosplay account, come talk to me on either of those. I'm pretty much on them every day. And somewhere else I'm also every day, if you want to chat to me, is Discord. If you're in the Merlison Discord and you want to friend me on Discord, you can also do that and then DM me. Like, not in a weird way, just like... You can just talk to me if you want to. <laughs> Come talk to me anywhere. I like talking to fans, so please do. <laughs> so I'm Momotastic on AO3, where I post fanfic sometimes, and Momopods also on AO3, where I post podfic quite regularly. Our theme music for Melissa was composed by Sidestepping exclusively for us. Every other kind of music you heard on this podcast is from freesound.org. The manip on our cover was made by Brolin's Keep and the cover was made by me. And next time we will be talking about fan art with a bunch of guests. Woohoo! Until then, guys, happy holidays in whatever way you celebrate or don't celebrate Happy them. holidays! Oh my god, is this going to be the Christmas one? I didn't realize! That's because you never look at the schedule. I didn't realize like how close we were to Christmas, I guess is what I'm saying. Talk to you next year. <laughs> next year bye bye